Hello everyone, Paul Salt here, speaking through the mouth meat of Mr. Paul Goodman, because I forgot to record this, and now I'm asleep like a baby. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Wes Craven. We give Mr. Craven a bit of a rough time in this one, but he indisputably had a huge impact on the genre, and made many classic horror films, including A Nightmare on Elm Street. He was a wonderful man, and he lived his dream by sharing his nightmares. And if I tried that, well, it wouldn't be very good at all. Bye! Paul, give me your best Freddy from Nightmare on Elm Street 1. Dina. Elm Street 6? <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> Whoopsie! Whip, 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 whip. <laughs> Come to daddy! <laughs> Bitches! Ow! One and a two and a three. Oh, love, I'll check this cupboard. Ah! I could have sworn that this was tea when I made it, but now it's coffee. <laughs> Sorry, is, is there parmesan in this pesto? <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, spooky. Hello, and welcome to One Spooky Thing, yeah. the podcast that tries to find the one room of the house that doesn't have little girls spookily skipping in it. Is it this one? Oh no, there they are. Oh god. Get a room. <laughs> Last year we ripped through the Halloween saga, and this year we're heading down to Elm Street to have a bit of a mare. Nice. This time we're going to be talking about the six entries to the original... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> That's exciting, isn't it? Yes, we should be talking about the six entries to the original Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And Wes Craven's new nightmare. Just cause. No. What are you going to do with that time? Sleep? I don't think so. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> Never sleep again. Oh, I see what you did. The franchise is about a child killer returned from the dead to haunt children's dreams. Uh, you've all seen that episode of The Simpsons, so you get the idea. Yeah. Now, we've done it a bit differently from last year. Last year, we very sensibly sat down, watched eight movies in, over the course of two weeks, and then sat down and recorded for three fucking hours, mm-hmm. uh, which we managed to absolutely massacre to get a 90-minute episode. Yeah. What's the catch, you say? <laughs> Oh, just your sanity. Well, this year we decided to tackle one a week for the past seven weeks. So we've recorded around three hours of audio so far, and we haven't done the seventh film, the quickfire, or this bit that you're hearing now. So I have no fucking idea how long this is going to be, ladies and gents. I can only apologize in advance. Not sure this is the best way to do it, but next year we have committed to doing one Friday the 13th a month, which just about sums up our feelings on this matter. (laughs) It's been a busy seven weeks for the pools. Near the end of it, the film festival started, so Mm -hmm. we had to record five and six very early in the morning for free for free (laughs) no one pays us for those yeah unlike all the others yeah and also listen out for that difference in tone energy ability to tolerate nightmare on elm street movies and just generally my my willingness to listen to you or react to the things that you say i can never tell the difference in that (laughs) i just assume (laughs) i have my headphones turned down so low that i don't even know what you're saying it's pure coincidence that we've made it this far We somehow managed to end up talking about the same films at the same time. (laughs) It's a modern miracle, folks. (laughs) Okay, well, with no further ado, we shall now pass you over to us from seven weeks ago. Those poor young fools. So, before we start, what's your experience of Nightmare on Elm Street? Have you seen any of them before? Nope. Okay. I know nothing. I've seen the Simpsons Treehouse of Horror episode. (laughs) Oh, well. Yeah, you're pretty much there. I've seen them all, as you'd expect, a whole bunch of times. Oh. Right. We're going to start the franchise with A Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Elm Street? (laughs) 
uh, written and directed by Wes Craven and released in 1984 to rave reviews and a positive critical and popular reception that endures to this day. Paul, what in it? Oh, well, there are four school friends-ish. It's Tina, Rod, Johnny Depp, and Tina's friend Nancy, <laughs> who behaves like a Halloween supporting character. <laughs> they all have weird dreams about a man with spiked hands and a terrible hat. That night, Tina has sex, and I realise with some pain that Nancy is actually the main character. <laughs> Tina is murdered, and Nancy does some good acting, and I feel a bit better again. Okay. Rod is arrested on suspicion of Tina's murder, because he was in the room with her. Uh, Nancy falls asleep in the bath, but fortunately, there's a big knife hand in the bath for just these occasions, which pulls her in into an underwater dream world to do a murder on her, which does a trick and wakes her which he's trying to protect Rod but he dies in his cell he's hanged by Freddy whilst he sleeps and at the funeral the reverend basically says he had it coming Nancy describes Freddy Krueger to her parents and they shit themselves and decide to hook Nancy up to a brain thing uh, she doesn't freak out while she's sleeping and then she does until she's woken up and she's got some knife cuts on her arm and a hat ah. uh, there's an amazing discussion about dreams and hats it... <laughs> what, what the hell are dreams anyway mysteries incredible body hocus pocus <laughs> it turns out that the hat belonged to a dead idiot called Fred Krueger which sounds remarkably familiar to Freddy Krueger but it's nothing to worry about it's just a nightmare says Nancy's mum after she wakes up with the injury in the hat from the literal dream world it then transpires that Fred Krueger was Freddy Krueger he was a child killer but he got off free due to a clerical error so some parents found him and burned him down <laughs> we even have his knives says the mum taking them out of the furnace and rustling them around for the benefit of a terrified daughter anyway it's okay now you can sleep she doesn't sleep for seven days. Nancy hatches a plan um, for to pull Fredwood out of a dream, but Glenn's dad, English comedian Paul Putner, isn't having any of it. It's dream time, <laughs> motherfuckers. Glenn is pulled down through his bed and explodes. His viscera is sprayed on the ceiling and Paul Putner is devastated. Nancy determines to catch Fred Krueger once and for all. She uses her excellent trapping knowledge that she's built on during the film to build some traps. She doesn't find him, and then she does. They wrestle, and then the alarm goes off. It didn't work. She's crazy after all. Then it does work, and he's bloody there in the real world. Her home alone traps beat him for a bit. It's harder in the real world for old freddy uh, eventually though nancy leads him through a bunch of traps and into the cellar and covers him in kerosene and burns him down a fatter stump man is burnt to pieces and her dad comes <laughs> to the rescue nancy says she's okay her dad leaves and the door closes and she's still in a dream but she knows he can't hurt her because he feeds on fear he fades into blue nothingness the next day it's beautiful outside all her friends are here a bit foggy though that's because it's a dream. The car roof is striped like Freddy's jumper. It locks and drives them away. Nancy's mum turns into a dummy and is pulled through the small window on the door <laughs> by Freddy's arm. The end. Beautiful. What a lovely film. It is strange <laughs> how Heverlag and Camp becomes a much better actress the more distressed yes. she gets. She, she was she was terrible in the beginning. Yeah, it was rough, right? Like that first conversation between the four friends. Yeesh. Forget it, Tina. The point is that everyone has a bad dream once in a while. It's no biggie. That's amazing you saying that. That made me remember the dream I had last night. That was, it was like Halloween again. <laughs> it, was, it was truly bad. But I think we have to give special mention, and I'm sorry to do this. Is she dead? She's not even dead, Paul. Ronnie Blakely as Nancy's mum. Apparently he was crazy jealous. Nancy said they'd had a fight. It wasn't that serious. Maybe you don't think murder is serious. You didn't sleep at all last night, did you? I don't think you're crazy. And stop drinking that damn coffee. What even was wow. she, she doing when she wasn't strolling around with a with an enormous vodka bottle or lighting cigarettes in a really intimidating <laughs> way? She was just not interacting properly with other characters. <laughs> She's not behaving as a human would. No. Perhaps you don't think murder is that serious. I mean, the whole the whole film did have a lot of unintentional comedy in it. And yes. Nancy was bad in the beginning. Mm. I thought Johnny Depp was Johnny Depp. Yeah, Johnny Depp was... Uh, isn't it weird that it's Johnny Depp? It is weird that it's like, Johnny this Depp. This movie, I, I watch it every now and then, and I basically just don't 
put it together that that's Johnny Depp. Well, it's because he's but, not no, no, no. doing a that's crazy a caricature. Of, exactly. Of he's a playing lunatic. himself. It's fucking bizarre. It's good. Like, yeah. a, like a real person. And here he's <laughs> swanning about in sweatpants and, and he's, he's a nice guy. Yeah. It's cool. I think what saves this for me is the awesome special effects. Oh, God, yeah. And I think the cinematography, the cinematography that just really captures the sort of dark, dreamy yeah. environment is really great. What, special effects and cinematography. What it does it with good. dreams in, in hammering home to the audience that you cannot escape from them mm. is, is brilliant. The dreams are all shot with that lovely non-continuity you know, she she's in a warehouse and she opens a door to a completely different location. Yeah, it properly entrenches the sort of dream mechanics. You can't you can't get out of this. It's Freddy's world, and that was <laughs> that was really good. Yeah, that was creepy as hell. And I love the I love the times when it does blur the line, like with the phone where it turns into the mouth, and it's like, well, wait, yeah. can he do stuff? Is she asleep or not? And it's yeah, it was very yeah. surreal in that way, and I like that. Did a bit of reading about the ending because it was uh, yes. a little confusing. Mm. I read that Wes Craven actually wanted a north ending. Yes, he wanted the whole thing to be a dream. The producer, yeah. Robert Shea, didn't like that idea. But I don't really? know if his ending is much better. There's a lot of stuff about the car. There was an idea mm. that Freddy would be driving the car or that the car would turn into Freddy. I think yeah. if the roof had well, just slammed on and it was green and red and suddenly Nancy's freaking out and the mum's just waving and the car drives away and mm. we pan over to those girls skipping rope, that'd have been creepy as hell. That'd have been great. Yeah. To then Smashing add the, yeah, the dummy woman. <laughs> <laughs> to, to move out, move through the window with a Highlander 2 alacrity. <laughs> like, they didn't build that dummy for that purpose. They had the dummy for other reasons. <laughs> um... Throw it out of a window in Highlander 2. <laughs> Apparently the face is really good, which is handy because it's the only part of it you don't see. <laughs> yep. I do want to say there is something sinister about how silly it was. Like It's not a mum anymore. It's just a, it's just a rubber hmm. thing that Freddy can just pull. So, there is something a bit unnerving about it even though it is a rubbish special effect in in that kind of oh she's just meat now yeah that kind of thing so she's not yeah. she's plastic now because it's freddy's world yeah. and he can just turn you into a dummy if he likes oh uh, yeah yeah with that logic with that reasoning yeah. maybe it was the best thing i've ever seen <laughs> maybe so who's to say but i am i am really glad for robert shay the producer in this um he well, saved saved that for me i think that would have ruined everything if it was just a dream <laughs> Yes, that would have been very irritating. Um, let's talk a bit about Robert Shea. I have some insight into Nightmare on Elm Street because I have been watching Never Sleep Again, uh, the documentary based on the exhaustive and exhausting book on the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. So exhaustive that it has interviews with Surfer and Hall Monitor <laughs> so they could talk about their process and in getting into character. <laughs> cool. In the early 1980s, Wes Craven best known for such brutal films as Last House on the Left and The Hills Have Eyes, would find the inspiration for his most innovative project in the pages of real life. Um, it's Sometimes it's insightful, sometimes it's people just telling us what happened in the movie. Um, in that sort of Channel 5... Talking heads. ...list. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But there's some interesting stuff in there. So Wes Craven based it on childhood experience of a scary guy who came and looked in his window, who looked a bit like Fred Krueger, and a bully. Oh. Uh, called Fred Krueger, which is nice and uh, <laughs> way to not give him power over you. Take, take that! <laughs> I'm a strong boy. <laughs> now he gets he makes millions by doing the Freddy Krueger tour. <laughs> Here's where I punched Wes in the balls. <laughs> it was inspired by a series of articles in the Los Angeles Times, or as Never Sleeps, or as Never Sleep Again, the documentary calls it, the pages of real life. Um, <laughs> about young men who were refugees from Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam from the war, mysteriously dying in their sleep. 
very ah. creepy story. Robert Shea basically invented New Line Cinema a few years earlier to make uh, cult movies like John Waters films, like Pink Flamingos and uh, and a previous yeah. uh, One Better Thing, Polyester. And Nightmare on Elm Street was the big break. It's the thing that got them no- noticed. It's the thing that um, turned into a massive franchise for them. And without that, no Lord of the Rings. Gosh. Wes says that he auditioned old men for the role of Freddy Krueger, but he found them to be too tender and too caring to be scary. <laughs> so he hired Robert England. <laughs> Should have hired Bruce Dern. That fucking wrong. Robert England says that he drew influence from Klaus Kinski as Nosferatu and James Cagney. <laughs> oh, grand. That natural combination. Another little interesting bit from this documentary is that Robert England talks about the parents. Hmm. And says it's very much a case of two wrongs not making a right. So the parents did sin and maybe they had the revenge sort of coming to them. Mm. Whereas Heather Lagenkamp, who plays Nancy, Mm. says, I do think that vigilante justice is an answer to someone like Freddy Krueger. I wouldn't want that kind of crime on my hands, but it happens. It happens all the time. (laughs) Didn't you learn nothing, Nancy? (laughs) But you see, the kids grow and become the parents. It's all cyclical. Oh, it becomes very comical at the point when it becomes Home Alone. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Freddy loses some of his fear factor a bit when he's just going, oh, <laughs> yeah, shut up, and becoming fat stuntmen. <laughs> I think there's still a hell of a lot that works. Um, yeah. I guess uh, one note I did have is I could have done with more of the effect because Nancy at one point says that she's been awake for seven days. Yeah. I'd like to have seen that rendered more in just the deterioration of her mental state. Like physically stuff's got to be going on by then. Yeah, Could she be like sh- shivering or yeah, I don't know something that could that could have been nice or just look a little less stunning. They're, they spent all the time on the actual on the special effects, which which really did look great. Tina rolling around the ceiling looks oh, amazing. Yeah. That was a rotating room. The Tina. Death. Oh, really? Yeah, as amazing. was Johnny Depp's um blood fountain. I, the arms yeah. actually grew on me, so to speak. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I thought they looked terrible, but yeah, getting older, there's something. There's something scary and da- and Lynchian about bad special effects, mm. like special effects that look a bit wrong, like the Rubber Woman. And there's something about his arms that are just very creepy, even though they don't yeah. look quite natural. But it made me think of Michelle Gondry. So maybe mm. I had to watch a couple of sort of quirky indie films to really get myself <laughs> prepared for that effect. The world wasn't ready yeah. for them at the time. Okay, let's do the final three things. What was okay. the one spooky thing about this film? What was the spookiest bit? It came right at the end. I wasn't spooked Ooh. really at all, but the shot of the mum's corpse falling through the bed to hell, I thought. Oh. It's really spooky. That the charred or yeah. rotted corpse and the blue light that she falls into. Ooh, creepy. Lovely. My one spooky thing is the very beginning, weirdly. And it's um <gasps> it's the little box in the middle of the screen. It doesn't take up the full screen. It's just a little mm. box with a much smaller aspect ratio. And it's the footage of Freddy putting his glove together whilst he grunts and breathes. Um oh, and yeah. it's very grimy, it's very raw. Yeah, I like that quite a bit. Great. Best kill. Glenn, Johnny Depp. Ooh. It was, it was very, very satisfying and uh, gruesome. <laughs> and it just the, the, the excess of it was obscene. <laughs> yeah. It just kept going and going. It just blood <laughs> shooting at the ceiling and covering it. This is a bit much. Come on, Wes. <laughs> There's a line when they're going in. Some cop says, um, <laughs> we don't need a stretcher. We need a mop. Yeah. <laughs> Classy. Classy guy. Pull partners right there. <laughs> My favorite kill is Tina. Tina's death is really horrific. It's frightening. It's yeah. there's some really good special effects in there when she's yep. like hovering over the bed and yep. great wire work and the actress Amanda mm. Weiss. She really threw herself into that. Props to her. Could you sum up your feelings towards A Nightmare on Elm Street in a single noise? <laughs> Classic. Time for a sequel. Aha. That's right. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two: Freddy's Revenge. Not this time. Yeah, it's his turn. Oh no. Gosh, finally, Freddy's getting revenge. (laughs) 
Producer Bob Shea wanted a sequel, but not Wes Craven. He didn't want any of those, so they parted ways. Wes Craven got two streets down before he realised the rights to Freddy Krueger weren't in his pocket anymore. <laughs> well, whoops. <laughs> card tricks. Bob! Well, at least give me back my cows, my cows keys. My cows keys. <laughs> give me back my cows keys. I meant house keys, house keys and car keys. They're on the same loop. It's easy. I call them my cows keys. Anyway, give them back. I can't give them back. They're too confusing. I need to destroy them. <laughs> now, the script seems to have been written and polished by various members of the production office. It was written by the guy okay. who did the photocopying. <laughs> Additional dialogue by the guy who changes the water cooler filter. Mm-hmm. It was just out on a table somewhere. It was propping up the table for most of the year. <laughs> then people take it out and just make little additions. Like the staff jigsaw. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'll have, a, I'll have a little go at this. <laughs> Help yourself, fucker. Uh, it was actually directed by the guy who was making trailers for the films they were making at New Line Cinema. His name is Jack Shoulder, and he doesn't like the original movie very much. And Robert England extorted the production for more money, so it's clearly a labour of love. Oh, good. Yay. Is that why they replaced him with Sir Ben Kingsley in this film? <laughs> okay, so the movie starts, and Jesse is experiencing my worst nightmare, being laughed at by two girls whilst he struggles to do something physical. <laughs> Easily the scariest part of the film. <laughs> and his hair slipped back. Turns out the bus is being driven by Freddy. He careens off the uh, off the road and into a pit. Uh, then he wakes up in his 5,000 degree room <laughs> with his hot body just all <laughs> wet and dripping and his big mm. bulge poking out his underwear. Oh, yeah. Love it. He goes downstairs where his sister is eating her racist cereal. Um, <laughs> yeah. Fu Manchu's. Fumachus, yes, it's Brilliant. fantastic. He goes down, his family is there, his hilarious sitcom dad. There's a couple of parakeets in the background, which remind me there's a parakeet scene in this, and I smile a little. But ding dong, there's somebody at the door. It's Lisa, who hasn't figured out doors yet because she stood with her back Aww. to it. <laughs> um, they go to school where um, Jesse tries to play some baseball, but he's distracted by the women's archery team in the next field because who the fuck wouldn't be? <laughs> Was that a thing in high school? <laughs> what a sentence. What a phrase. <laughs> Oh, they're out doing that archery practice again. What kind yeah. of high school is this? In case British come. Brady, mm. the sort of jock guy, but also best friend of the main guy. They have a bit of a tussle and a wrestle, as you do. Yeah, bit of a wrestle. He tells him that, hey, you know your house? There was a freaky chick who went insane in there. That's a bit spooky. And he's like, huh, I hope nothing scary happens tonight. Oh, no, it does. There's a Freddy. Yep. And he stalks him and he gets his brain out, which has a bit of a, bit uh. of a throb. And he yeah. wakes up and he's hot and sweaty again. The next morning, he's sleeping through class and a fucking snake crawls on him, which turns out to actually be a fucking snake that's crawled on him. <laughs> and everyone's like, what a loser. <laughs> uh, we cut back to sitcom Dad and the parakeets. Good news, that's coming up soon. Dad tells him mm-hmm. to go up and clean his room. Uh, Lisa comes and helps him out in direct contravention of the no chick sign that he's got on his door. <laughs> they find Nancy's journal, which is far more erotic than anything E.L. James ever wrote. Wonder where you bring that up. But very similarly <laughs> to Fifty Shades of Grey, it soon becomes incredibly sinister. We come forward a bit and it turns out they're dating now I guess because they like kiss each other but never mind that there's a sweaty young man to focus on I can't even remember what happens in that scene but I'm willing to trust my nose that that happened (laughs) then the fucking parakeet scene is here yay yay a tiny bird terrorizes the entire family and then explodes Uh, the dad blames the oven and then his son On his next late night wander around, he gets to a leather bar. He's a pasty kid. He's clearly underage. He's dripping with fluids. He's barely dressed. He gets served immediately. (laughs) His gym teacher takes him up to school and gets fucking killed in the thing. Yeah. He dies. Uh, The son is picked up, wandering around the streets. 
the dad assumes it's drugs or possibly the oven and then takes all of the bars off of the house so Johnny Depp can go, come and go as he pleases. Uh, Lisa holds a party at her place, which everyone goes to except Grady, who's grounded, which is something he really listens to. That kid's got good discipline. Jesse appears to have come to the party solely to go upstairs and freak out. So there's a big party going off. Jesse's freaking out. They're having a genuinely erotic moment, which is somewhat ruined by the massive creepy tongue that Jesse springs from his face. He runs off to go be shirtless with Grady. <laughs> he says the line, there's someone trying to get in my body. He replies, yeah, her name is Lisa and she's back there waiting for you. Which implies That's... that which implies that Grady is doing sex either quite wrong or very right. Dep- yeah, depending on, on something very, very critical to his personality. <laughs> stop, trying to, stop trying to get inside my body, Lisa. <laughs> ah. uh, the transformation begins to the chilling sounds of whale song. You see, Freddy this whole time has been trying to get inside of Grady's body. Not Grady, the other one. Jesse. Yeah. He's trying to get out of Jesse and he bursts out of him kills Grady, then turns back mm-hmm. into Jesse so that he can run back to the fucking um, party. He returns to the party covered in blood, ranting about killing people and about having someone trapped inside of him. She assures him that he's just tired and probably it's probably just the oven. Yeah. Jesse turns into Freddy again. Luckily, Lisa's on hand to foil him with a doily. Freddy forgets that he's not Jaws and tries to bite into Lisa, but she's able to get away. <laughs> Fred- work. Freddy then falls in love with Lisa and then jumps into Invisible. I love you, Lisa. Uh, he ruins the barbecue. She drives to the warehouse and it occurs to her to um, dress the open wound on her leg. She runs into some dogs, rats, and cats, all of whom look terrible because the special effects guy was busy working on aliens, genuinely. And the script to Elm Street 2. <laughs> she sees some weird shit and then she kisses Freddy to death. Yep. And then you have your Bob Shea ending where nothing is what it seems and it's a terrible puppet. That wasn't quite as concise as it might have been, but that is what happens in Nightmare on Elm Street 2. Freddy's Revenge. I think that... I think that reflects the film Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> what did you make of it, Paul? I really liked the first half or so. <laughs> Yay. I think it was, gr- it was great. And then it got less great. Where's the turning point into less great? When the gym teacher dies. Okay. As soon as the Elm Street stuff started happening, <laughs> it, got, it got less great. And then it flailed around like a fat drunk for a bit. <laughs> and then it threatened to get really good. And then it didn't quite get that good again. And then it ended and it was weird. <laughs> Excellent. The, the terrible dog, cat, and, and mouse effects. <laughs> yeah. They were they were terrible, but they looked also terribly in a in a scary way because okay. of how bad they looked. They just, because there's, there's 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 something about that particular kind of prosthetic. Yeah. Effect. It's just so disgusting to imagine that that's how it would actually really look in real life. <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. that it's bad. That's going to be such a heavy theme of the rest of this series, my man. <laughs> Starting oh, with good. the next well, one. Well, consider this series saved. But just before Freddy sort of burst out and started slaying random kids at the at the swimming pool, <laughs> in a they, were, seems to be, they were leaning very heavily on the mental illness take yeah. shelter type stuff. Yes, of, that he might you know, genuinely be crazy. And and then it wasn't that. Um, <laughs> no, it was just Freddy. Yeah, then it was just Freddy going, <laughs> come here, kids. Yeah, I really loved the ambiguity of this one because there's, you know, Wes Craven complained about it and said... Um, it felt like a bunch of scenes. There was no unity to it. And I kind yeah. of agree, but that's kind of a strength of it has, I think. But the first mm. half of this, or the first hour or so, plays out so weirdly, where mm. it's not clear when someone is dreaming and when someone isn't. Yeah. And um, things just sort of happen. Characters are just moving along, and you're not sure how people are feeling about stuff. It's it's abstract. It's like the whole thing is a very weird dream. Yeah, I, I really like. I really appreciated the fact that you couldn't tell when somebody was dreaming. There, were, there may have been the occasional clue 
Yeah. Like Jesse might have been wearing doctor scrubs. <laughs> you realize five minutes in, oh, maybe this is a dream, but it's done much like Inception. They'll just yeah. transition into the next scene. There was a lot of good, and I really liked Jesse as a as a protagonist. Yeah. I I thought it was good, and was I liked that. Very troubled. Um. Yeah, I liked that he wasn't. He was a male protagonist, but he wasn't a nerd. He wasn't. He he wasn't like oh no, no one else likes him, and yeah. he's different. And, and that people you know people were taking the piss out of him at school but it was banter and he and he stood up for himself he yeah. wasn't a spineless nerd who was just <laughs> taking he, every, everybody else's abuse although that is his self-image which i think is implied by the dream at the beginning you know he believes himself because in that opening sequence yeah. he's much pastier and kind of awkward and yeah the script yeah. actually describes him as a four eyes so okay there's that image of himself but you're right he's a more robust character than that and it is a really good performance by Mark Patton. Yeah, so, I liked it. Yeah. Um, right down to his girlish scream. <laughs> now just a few stray observations from our favourite documentary, Never Sleep Again, the making of the Nightmare on <laughs> Elm Street franchise. Great. After their first taste of mainstream success, New Line Cinema immediately realised it was time to think about Freddy's future and the nightmare they now owned. Brad Pitt and Christian Bale auditioned for Jesse, which is fun. Whoa. <laughs> Would have been interesting. Okay. Uh, Kim Myers was hired because she looks like Meryl Streep. Yeah, I like. I, see I liked. I liked her quite a bit. She was. Um, yeah, I liked her too. I, I thought she was uh, a nice, cute, sort of reassuring girlfriend character. Yeah, definitely. There was concerted effort to make Freddie more talkative to differentiate himself from. Don't do that, Michael Myers and Jason. Yeah, it didn't work terribly yeah. well. Some of his grumbling I liked, like the first confrontation between the two of them. You've got the body. <laughs> That was fun. That was fun. <laughs> it was that, and mm. uh, when that guy's trying to placate him at the, oh, at the yeah. swimming pool, and he goes, Help yourself, fucker! Slashes him and throws him across the room. It bodes well that you like that kind of Freddy speaking, because there's going to be a lot more of that shit in the next one. Whether it's intentional or not, it's it's very funny. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's crank-esque, I think. <laughs> All right, so coming on to this. Gay... There's a lot of talk about this being a very homoerotic film. Okay. Uh, in response, Robert England says that there's always an aspect of seduction to these films. That Freddy's always got a slightly pervy aspect to him when he's coming after his prey. So mm. there's definitely a, a hint of that. Mark Patton, the actor, was gay, but it was not then revealed. <laughs> the fucking... Yeah. The fucking documentary at this point just turns into, yeah, I think the cinematographer was gay. No, I think the producer, <laughs> like, it's just like, <laughs> right. everyone claiming ignorance, saying they had no idea. The screenwriter, David Chaskin, says it was meant to be subtext, but he definitely intended it, which Bob mm. Shea didn't believe. It, it becomes very weird. Um, oh, wow. Okay. There were various attempts to rationale what this means, that maybe Freddy appeals to the self self-hatred of a closeted homosexual or um the sort of demonized version of himself that he perceives because of the guilt but it does end with his girlfriend kissing him straight so <laughs> if that's the subtext <laughs> i'd be happy to just sidestep the subtext for this one i think <laughs> i i'm i, I can't pretend, pretend it's not there i feel this plays into the idea that men being uncomfortable seeing men in the victim position and so mm. suddenly they see this man who's in this position as very effeminate, although there is that scream. <laughs> I mean, to be to be fair, apart from this scream, I didn't get that mm. 
he was i didn't think he was an effeminate guy there was a lot of there was a lot of sweaty guy action but (laughs) i just i I just i just saw that as a couple of dudes being comfortable with their own their own bodies fuck yeah i saw it as a confidence thing and what that says about me um and how i read society probably (laughs) speaks volumes (laughs) well he's not he's not an effeminate guy that's the thing he's a regular guy put into the victim position and shown to be vulnerable the victim role is traditionally a female one and so the only elm street with a male lead becomes the gay one to the straight viewer i think Mm. he's not an effeminate character he's just a vulnerable one and people aren't used to seeing that and i think that's i don't know i think that insecurity and that unwillingness to perceive themselves as the victim Mm. in such a direct way is why Mm. slasher victims tend to be female or you're just a perv like Dario Argento. So it, it, it could be that the, the films themselves have such a strict sort of set of rules that whoever you put in there becomes yeah. that kind of victim. Yeah. And it could be initially that it was just an effeminate thing because it was largely female. And it's is it that it's become so ingrained that if you put a male in now that you get or similar results. Or whenever <laughs> but now you know you can have characters like um the lead of get out you know daniel kalia's yeah. character and um chris yeah and there's no questions asked you know we're willing to explore yeah. that vulnerability and um yeah that's really beautiful but maybe that just wasn't something people were ready for in 1980 whatever it was yeah whole new kind of horror film as well I mean, oh god get, get out is amazing for being social horror but the yeah. i'd be curious you know to see new slasher films i don't know how yeah. many new slasher films are being made and whether it's a thing in the <laughs> yeah. in the teens just had a new halloween but... which was um unfortunately quite conventional but um there's no reason yeah. we couldn't i'd be curious to see if a male was suddenly put into a whole new f- slasher franchise yeah and if people as, would describe as that lead. as the gay one yeah nowadays look at him fearing for his life like a woman <laughs> you to get a cigar out and a machine gun we've all got them <laughs> that's <laughs> At the, the time in school when the ladies got taken out to talk about tampons, they gave us each our machine guns. <laughs> Look after it. This is your best friend from now on. <laughs> I'm going to call it Edgar. No, you must give it a woman's name. <laughs> that is the correct way. You gay. <laughs> Jimmy's gay, everyone. Sir. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, I hate going to school in the 80s. Joel Soisson, or Soisson, perhaps, hmm. uh, the line producer, said that the uh, protagonists of 80 slashes are almost always women, and it's not hard to see why. They were easier to portray as victims. At this point, they cut to England, who says it made the sexual threat and the chemistry richer. And we cut back to that guy saying that as a result of making it ro- um, a masculine performance, it's, um, vaguely, it's, it's vaguely emasculating and quite comical having a guy in that position. It comes down to this idea that maybe this is what people who made it were thinking, but it's not how I took it. <laughs> no, comical? Absolutely not. It got yeah. What was comical was Freddy Krueger <laughs> in, in this. Fred Krueger, please. Fred Krueger, I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, it's, has he actually been referred to as Freddy at all in the past two films? I, just I in to... the title of the film. Oh, yeah. Fuck. Come to Freddy. Yeah, I really oh. liked um, Patton in the lead, and... Um, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't mind gay subtext. I think that's fine, but aside yeah. from some homoerotic imagery, I really just don't see what a gay subplot means. Anyway, it made five million more than the previous film. England says huh. it did particularly well in Europe because they really got the gay stuff. They knew. <laughs> they knew. Again, is is, is getting <laughs> getting the gay stuff in, in this is it is it not giving a shit? C'est fantastique. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> <nom>. <laughs> Sans, sans la femme. Sorry, that was so wonderfully rubbish when said like that. Lom. <laughs> L'om. Lom. Anyway, everyone blames different things for the mixed reviews of the film. Some saying it's too smart, others that it's too commercial. Not gay enough. We already, we already know what Craven said. Not good enough was one complaint. 
Too gay was uh, Belgium's response. Uh. Savages, all of them. <laughs> I like it. Paul, what was your one spooky thing about Friday the 13th, part two, Freddy's Re- Revenge? It's Freddy bursting out of Jesse in, in the dream. Fuck yeah. Like, it, again, it looked fake, but it, it, it's like turning the mum into a doll. It made it worse. Yeah. Like, F- Freddy was able to turn him into a screaming wax boy. Yeah. It was awful. Horrible yeah. to watch. It was horrible to watch. And my spooky moment was the moment immediately following that. Uh, because Freddy doesn't, uh, when he's pacing around the room just before he kills Brady, he's more frightening than I think he's ever been elsewhere. He's silent. Mm. He's very menacing. Yeah. He's toying slightly. He's carrying himself beautifully. And there's something about his makeup. He looks, I don't know, flesh. He's kind of fresh, rather. He's glistening. There's mm. a leanness to him. He looks streamlined. I don't know. There's something really menacing about him in that moment. Yeah, when he's just quiet and, and brooded broody mm. yeah moody and like lurking and, and stuff it's yeah it's way more effective than him doing anything else <laughs> use the dream use dream mechanics he doesn't have to you don't have to show him running across the room he could just be there there's one bit in the in the first film where he is just there yeah when um tina's running yeah and uh that's creepy because he's using the dream the dream is the scary thing for me it's not freddy going ah, ha, ha, <laughs> kids Ah, uh, what's your best kill he just punches some rando in the belly as he's running yeah. away from the swimming pool. And he stands in front of the camera screaming in pain when he's got blood all over his guts. Yeah, it was really good because he, there was no sign of anything wrong with the shirt or anything like that as he ran up to camera. And then the knives yeah. are just in his stomach in one shot and there's blood everywhere. It must yeah. have burst like a blood pack or something under the shirt, but it looks fantastic. My favorite's the gym teacher. And once mm-hmm. again, those scars just appearing on his back. Um, just sort of slicing in there and he bends slightly and you can see the skin like open up a bit. It's yeah. very visceral. It's very... The first cut for a clean piece of construction paper, you know? Only mm. in this case, it's a gym teacher's back. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> can you give me a noise to sum up your feelings on the entire franchise at this stage? <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, now Wes Craven didn't want one sequel to his film, but he was fine with two. So he came back to do the story and screenplay with Bruce Wagner for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Yeah. It was a script that New Line Cinema then reworked with some hack loser named Frank Darabont, whoever the fuck that is, mm-hmm. um, and Chuck Russell, um, who they also got to direct the film because he was free that weekend. <laughs> uh, Russell also directed The Scorpion King. Did he now? Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser. Yes. And you ready for this? Do you know this? No. no. You don't know. You don't know the the main film that Chuck Russell directed. No, and I'm not ready for it either. You're not ready for it, man. After he made A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three. Mm-hmm. He went off and made a little independent film called The Mask, starring Jim Carrey. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I was not expecting that. Well, you know. <laughs> kind of makes sense. In terms of horrific imagery. Okay, Paul, what is it now? Patricia Raquette is doing everything she can to stay awake, eating coffee and drinking coke, listening to Dokken, making a paper mache house <laughs> and being Patricia Raquette. But her unreasonable mum says she shouldn't be doing any of this at 1am, especially being Patricia Raquette. So she falls asleep <laughs> and goes into that old slow skipping dream she's been having. She follows a girl into definitely a haunted house, but it's okay. It's just where Freddy kills and burns all the children he abducted. Oh. Patricia Raquette picks up a doll and runs away with it, but dream mechanics, Freddy's here. He says nothing, so it's actually quite creepy. She wakes up and then she doesn't. The tap grabs her, Communist Russia, and Freddy finally <laughs> swipes at her. And when the mum comes in, it looks like she cut her wrist with a razor blade. <gasps> cut to a, psychiat- a psychiatric hospital, yeah. 
wet full of ducks. Where Larry slash Lawrence Fishburne theorizes that parents taking acid in the 60s is the cause of a spate of teenage suicides. Dr. Neil Gordon is miffed that some hotshot is here doing science on his patients. Never mind that, because Patricia Arquette stabs Larry Fishburne because he's black, allegedly. But the bloody hotshot <laughs> comes in and it's no one special. Just bloody Nancy from the first film. Oh, Welcome what? back, Nancy. Whoa, brilliant. There's a creepy nun. Rather than ask Patricia Arquette, Nancy questions her mum, who suffers from parent in Elm Street syndrome and has absolutely <laughs> nothing of worth to say. Arquette is dreaming again, which is silly considering she suffers from child in Elm Street syndrome. She's in the same house and is attacked by an uppity rug, a cantankerous wall, and a racist light fixture before Freddy's head comes out of the floor as a big sludge snake and goes to gobble her up. But because of dream science, Nancy is transported into Kristen, uh, Patricia Arquette's dream. Seeing it's Freddy, she remembers everything she said in the first film about not fearing Freddy and screams and runs away. It turns out Patricia Arquette can pull people into her dreams. Nancy meets the rest of the group, Four Eyes, Breakfast Club Reject, Blondie, Mr. T's Child, Aubrey Plaza and Quiet Boy. <laughs> a scientist in this film who looks like Theresa May is suffering from scientist and Elm Street syndrome and refuses to believe that dreams mean anything, which to be fair they usually don't, but what an idiot. Strong and stable treatment. Freddy slices the ligaments out of Breakfast Club's arms and legs, working him like a marionette to a window. The quiet one spots him and wakes everyone up before running to help Breakfast Club, but it's too late. He falls to his death. The following day, another discussion happens where Theresa May refuses to believe dreams are the cause of this and orders nightly sedation for all to cure this nasty bout of dream trouble. Blondie convinces Larry Fishburne to let her stay up. She stays awake by watching TV and stubbing cigarettes out on her hand, which is a surprisingly satisfactory way of spending a Sunday night. <laughs> she starts to fall asleep when a talk show with Jar Jar Gabor comes on TV. Luckily, Freddie murders Jar Jar, but also Blondie, but live by the knife hand, die by the knife hand. <laughs> Dark Todd from Scrubs is on duty tonight and is trying to tempt Aubrey Plaza with pharmaceutical drug trips, so there's tension there that isn't explored later. The Nun's back. Finally, Neil's ready for the truth. They arrange a what's left of group, and Nancy explains about Freddy Krueger. They pull down the blinds and try group hypnosis. It doesn't work, but it does, because good things are about to happen, so it's obviously a dream. Quiet Boy goes off with the nurse, and she ties him to the bed with four separate tongues. Oh no, it's Freddy! He says, what's wrong, feeling tongue-tied? Which is very contrived, <laughs> but ah, everyone else is trapped no, in this he's, room. but he's really quiet, you see, because he's really quiet. Oh. So oh, okay. there you yeah, go. Brilliant. It's great. The quiet one's in a coma now. Neil and Nancy are relieved of duty. Neil goes into the car park and shouts at the nun, who tells him that Freddy is the bastard love child of a hundred strong gang rape of a nurse who was locked in the hospital with inmates for the summer or winter or one of the seasons. Before she leaves, she once again criticises Dr. Neil's faith in science. Nancy tries to rope her dad in to help get Freddy, you know, from the first film, but that doesn't work. And then it does when Dr. Neil gets manly and aggressive with the dad, the only language he can understand. <laughs> they go to a church and fill a whiskey bottle with holy water and borrow a cross from a priest. Nancy gets to the hospital and isn't allowed to see Patricia Arquette but holds an impromptu group. They enter the dream as warriors to become friends there in the dream. Freddy arrives with another great line and then it's back to being pursued. He injects Aubrey Plaza with drugs in all her old track marks. Four Eyes is a wizard but Freddy gets him too. Uh, meanwhile the dad and Neil go to get the body. Ugh! The dream warriors make it down to Sephiroth's cave and Quiet Boy's there. Kruger has him. They scuffle and run about a bit. Nancy runs him through with a pole. It doesn't matter. It turns out the souls of the children give him strength. They're all having a good cry stuck in his body there. And there's room for more. Freddy traps him in a room of mirrors and Quiet Boy becomes Joey, the boy with a voice. His talking shatters the mirrors and saves the warriors. Oh, but then it doesn't. Freddy comes back as Nancy's dad, stabs Nancy. She stabs him with his own knife hand. Dr. Neil wakes up and buries the skeleton. Wait, burns it. It was religion all along that saved them. It turns out the nun was Amanda Kruger, Freddy's mum. Ah! It's all okay, though. We end with a shot of Dr. Neil choosing to sleep with the creepy paper mache house next to his face. <laughs> a light comes on from within. Ooh, ghosts. It's haunted. Ghosts now. Yeah. <laughs> I love that final shot of the um, of the doctor because it's like a really plinky... It's Angelo fucking Bad Lamenti doing the scores of this. Yeah. And he has some very interesting decisions to make regarding sex scenes. Do you like my body, Joey? 
and also a grown man asleep <laughs> comfortably in his bed. Yeah, Angelo Badalamenti does the music for this. They've got everyone <laughs> on board. Him, Larry Fishburne. Everyone. Nancy from the first film. Oh, God. It's ridiculous. It's great. Brilliant. My dream power, in my sleep, I'm a wizard. In my dreams, I'm beautiful and bad. <laughs> wow. In my dreams, everybody hates me. <laughs> it's my dream power. Now you come to mention it. I don't have any dream powers. I have dream powers. <laughs> That's that's a skill reserved for dream warriors, Paul. You're not a dream warrior. Oh, shit. You're, you're a dream the only thing... sub. You're a dream submissive. <laughs> I'm a dream Anastasia Steele. <laughs> oh, boy. What if all this time I have been appearing in other people's dreams? Every time I fall asleep, I appear in someone else's dream as the awkward fucking guy who can't get anything right. <laughs> and when they wake up, it's like, who the fuck was that? Someone w- walking past you on Leicester Square or just fucking <laughs> gape. <laughs> Gawk as they stare at you. I'm sorry, I don't... I, I'm, I'm sorry. It is him! <laughs> See? Look how rubbish he is. <laughs> the, uh, Pointing at my face. Can't even do it. <laughs> Paul, what did you make of A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors? Oh, it was very funny and fun. It was, wasn't it? I really yeah. liked this one. Um, yeah. In addition to it being a kind of fun, kind of adventure film about these kids like and their friendship, mm. it also has quite an interesting mental health aspect. Mm. Like, the institution means well, but just can't be bothered to communicate with these kids on any sort of yeah. level it's very frustrating yeah it is yeah in a, in a good way you know every mm-hmm. one of these fucking movies has parents doubting their kids mm. this one making it institutional makes it seem even more helpless yeah like the idea that shots are coming that's going to knock all the kids out is very yeah. troubling i mean it's way more understandable that a group of scientists would refuse to believe this dream science malarkey with with the others it's just parents who definitely definitely had something to do with freddy krueger <laughs> and we're like no, no what what do you mean? I have a date. You need to leave. Go sleep in the car again, son. <laughs> My dreams can't get you. Um, there's, there's, there's a, it, it is a nice little contained thing as well. They're, they're trapped in this hospital. Um, it's like a little bottle episode, but with a lot of death. <laughs> yeah. And the, the dreams are really cool. They add these new mechanics yes. of, you know, everyone having powers in the dreams. It was fun when they'd remember to use it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, it is fun. It's a little limited, but yeah. the dreams in general, I really like them in this one. There's a, they're very different to the first two. They're less atmospheric and sort of David Lynch, mm. and they're a little more fun. It's a little bit Tim Burton, is what it is, mm. and that makes it just a bit more funhouse and a little entertaining. Yeah, it's absolutely not and scary. interesting to see. But it is no, it is in no way scary. But yeah, but it's fun. It's a hell of a lot of fun. I don't know what the the timeline for sort of horror films innovating is, but. This is mm. making me think of a lot of sort of modern franchises like Saw, where they're like, "Well, this is the third mm. film. We've now got to up this. We've got to add <laughs> new mechanics. We've got to we've got to change it, and it's got to be bigger and better." And they seem to be trying that with this one. No, but one of the things I really love about Nightmare Three is the practical effects, um, because all of these mm. movies have great practical effects. But sweet Christ, did they go out of their way on this one? Yeah. Some of the monster designs and the the weird plastic reality that goes on, the things coming in through the wall, and just things like, at one stage, a bike just rolls nonchalantly into a room and then melts Melts, into a little puddle of bike. And that looked great. It did. It it wasn't disgusting in the same way, but it was was just, like you said, very, very playful, very imaginative. It was was genuinely entertaining. And I really like what they, I mean, I like what they did with Freddy Krueger. I know he's not scary anymore, Mm. but I, I appreciated him when he was either laconic or belligerent. And they stewed the the bumbling old man running around trying to grab at people's ankles in this one. And I really appreciated <laughs> uh, that. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, come here, <laughs> kids. <laughs> Ow! 
but a it, doily. Yeah, but in this, he has so many great entrances and so many great entry lines <laughs> with the Jar Jar Gabor. But when a young actress says, how do you succeed in this business? You don't study. always say you have to study. I think you should study death, study, work, and then maybe you can make it. Can I ask you something? Certainly. Who is that fuck what you think? Yeah, this is what it's going to become now. They took it in a more comedic place, and this is basically the direction going forward. Okay. Um, and I will be very interested, now that we know that you prefer this angle, I'll be interested to see if you feel at some stage it's gone too far. I'm sure Hopefully it will. not. I'm hoping it just... <laughs> <laughs> when I'm it sure actually it turns will. into fucking Looney Tunes, yeah. circa <laughs> Nightmare 6. <laughs> okay, let's have some creepy stuff from behind the scenes. Thanks to everybody's favourite documentary. I probably don't need to introduce it every time, seeing as everyone will have heard the last time I mentioned it about ten minutes ago. <laughs> Whatever it's called. You rewind. I'm not going over there and getting the box. Aware of Freddy's potential, but dismayed by the lukewarm reception from critics and fans alike, New Line Cinema was determined to get their franchise back on track. The documentary takes some time out to slate the mother for having a date. Lagging Camp calls the scene tawdry and sad. How <laughs> dare this woman have a sex life? That's just... Ugh. Tawdry and a very sad. problematic daughter. <laughs> Jesus. Was this a night off? Yeah. All right, Joan Crawford. <laughs> There's a scene early on where um, Patricia Arquette comes out with a bait, like a child in her arms, mm. um, and then she looks at it, and it's turned into a skeleton. Mm-hmm. Now, originally, that skeleton was actually knocked together very quickly. And okay. It shows. Um, originally, they wanted to design a hideous sort of corpse child, and apparently, the director Chirk Russell, Chirk Russell, Chirk Russell. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chirk. <laughs> what? Chuck, Chirk Russell, Chuck. I did it again. Chuck Russell. Um, director of Jim Carrey's The Mask told the uh, special effects designer to think Auschwitz <laughs> and he spent 10 weeks crafting a dead puppet girl and they considered it too scary to actually use. Oh man. There are pictures of it if you care to Google it. Yeah, it's pretty fucking horrifying. It looks like a shriveled up E.T.-like thing. It's okay. not quite as terrifying as the little girl from Twilight Breaking Dawn Part 2. But it's, No, I uh... mean, when you're not going for creepy and you end up with creepy, you can't <laughs> match that is the problem. <laughs> Look, I just typed Elm Street dead Auschwitz girl and it, nothing came up, so... <laughs> I love the way your brain filtered that little piece of trivia into its keywords. <laughs> That's a real rotten pig on the dinner scene that there, someone had to shove their hand into. Apparently the smell was so bad they had to clear the set. <sighs> they had to change the lighting effects on the snakes because everybody thought it looked too phallic. Okay. When asked, the reason Zsa Zsa Gabor is on the show is because the actual talk show host, Dick Cavett, mm. said that she was the dumbest person I've ever met in my life and I would never have her on my show. Um, and therefore, if he could have anyone killed by Freddy, he chose her. <laughs> and she agreed. Wow. <laughs> and this is common knowledge, so I guess maybe she is the dumbest person he's ever met. <laughs> or, or she's Jesus. <laughs> yeah, she's the nicest person on earth, perhaps. I don't. I, this is the extent of my exposure to Jaja Gabor, I'm afraid. Yeah, I was glad actually that we that she was in this film because I finally got to say Jaja Gabor. <laughs> I've spent a life listening to other people say Jaja Gabor and <laughs> dream dreaming of what it would be like to have that mouth sound <laughs> in my mouth. It couldn't. Not until it was right. <laughs> oh yeah, this is fun. Sarah Risher, the producer, talked about how the producer spent more time casting the naked nurse than any other role. <laughs> the actress who ended up getting the role, Stacey Alden, talks for a few moments about how challenging the nude scene was and how it was kind of weird for her. Immediately cut to the lighting guy, who talked about how much he enjoyed having her stand around naked, trying different lighting on her. <laughs> and that's all fine. Look, it's all fine. We can agree it's fine. I can say that it's fine. You can say that it's fine, Paul. 
Therefore, it's fine. And I don't think anyone can really argue with it's that. It's fine because it's fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm glad we could agree on that. Jesus God, Christ. Dirty. I know. Fuck these people. They've made some entertaining movies that it meant a lot to me in my teenage years. But God, I hope I never meet any of them. The makers were also eager to point out the Christian values of the film, where a nun is raped by a hundred maniacs. Um, okay. Because they kill him with a cross and bury him in hallowed ground, like old-fashioned Dracula. Oh, okay, and, great. Um, the rock band Dokken wrote a song that we also just watched. Yeah. There was a music video involved featuring yeah, that... original content. That was a song. Patricia Arquette. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great. <laughs> Good for them. That's all we have to say about that. I'm glad we spent the time watching it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... <laughs> Look, it was it was it was genuinely great. It was a fun and kind of camp thing to do, and a very strange thing to do. And I think indicating the transition from horror into Saturday morning cartoon. I mean, it just it just it just seemed like a very eighties thing to do, and uh, <laughs> I, I wasn't surprised I see. <laughs> in any way. I am waiting for an arcade fire tie-in with It Follows. That would be now. good. It'd be pretty good. Uh, the audience went crazy for this one. It made all of the money. It actually, I think, features in the top ten highest-grossing movies of ah. that year. And it's a fan, it's a fan favorite, and it's it's quite easy to see why for both of those things. It's it's a lot of fun. You could I could imagine it playing really well to a crowd. Yeah, also sort of laughing moments. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, a real cloud cloud preaser. Yeah, yeah, the clouds are gonna love this one. Paul, what's the one spooky thing? The one spooky thing for me was the souls of the kids trapped in Freddy's oh, body. Yeah, that was just they're all crying out. Ah, I hate it here. <laughs> this is awful. Yeah. I'm near his boob. <laughs> old man boob. It's worse for me. <laughs> My spooky thing was Snake Freddy. Everything about him. I love the way he's like moving beneath the floorboards and mm. the um the walls and stuff is flying everywhere. And Patricia Arquette's really good in this. Yeah. But her screaming and her instincts are great. Cool. What's your best kill? Surprisingly low body count in this one. Yeah, surprisingly low, but uh, it's got to be Blondie. Ah. After Freddy comes in and kills Zsa Zsa Gabor, he uh, becomes the TV and grabs her with TV arms and uh, he shouts, This is it, Jennifer. Your big break in TV. Welcome to prime time, bitch. Breaks her face into the television screen. <laughs> it's, what, it's what a horror film should be. Catchphrases. My be- <laughs> Catchphrases. Like Little Britain. <laughs> Uh, my best kill was the puppet boy. It's very good. The um, the guy we don't really get to learn much about with the long hair. Yeah, he looks a bit like Samwise Gamgee, but not. Yeah, Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. That's the one. Uh, he gets the fucking veins torn out of his body yeah. and then used like puppet strings, and that's always really bothered me as a kid. I don't yeah. know why, but well, I know why. It's just, <laughs> I don't know why it stuck out particularly to me as being so unpleasant. Just the veins. Mm, big contender for my creepiest moment. It's good because I remember his toes come into view. I think, yeah. and they're covered in blood. And it's, it's like, oh, I don't know how good the special effect is actually gonna. Holy shit, that looks great. Yeah. Oh my that god. Looks like yeah. That looks like actual gouges out of his feet. Um, what's your franchise noise for this one? <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Dream Warrior. Right, so Wes Craven yeah. came back to make Nightmare 3 the final installment of the franchise. That was the condition <gasps> of him coming back. Incidentally, Paul, we are now just over halfway through this franchise. <laughs> Nightmare 3 made ridiculous amounts of money, and so we have Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master. Uh, the movie is directed by impoverished Finnish director Rennie Harlan. Uh, one of the producers said that they hired him just so he would be able to afford a bath. 
because he was genuinely in trouble at the point when they hired him for this movie. Aww. Bob Shea, on the other hand, said that he looked very big and strong like a Viking, so they felt that he would be able to work six hours a day for seven day weeks. <laughs> 17th century slave owner Bob Shape. <laughs> they had him pushing that big wheel out of Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> Push Rennie. It fuels the movie magic. <laughs> uh, I was gonna do. I was gonna do an impression of him struggling, struggling with a movie wheel. But I realised I don't know what I finished. Yeah, do your best. Is. Finish, Paul. Ah, ah. <laughs> Push the wheel. Hang on. Let me so just good. think. What is my exposure of Finnish uh, culture been? Oh, I know something. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that. That's a Finnish accent. Yeah, it's very good. <laughs> anyway, the Dream Master launched his career and he went on to make Die Hard 2, Die Harder, Aww. Cliffhanger, Cliffhangerer, <laughs> and Deep Blue Sea, the shark one, not the Terence Davis one. Yeah. Don't get those modelled up. <laughs> good news, Nan. <laughs> oh, I wanted the one where Samuel Jackson gets bitten in half. Sorry, Nan. <laughs> oh, Nan. You racist. <laughs> Ask me what happens. Oh. What happens? Oh, okay. The movie opens with another quote, because Bob Shea wants you to know he read a book once. This movie picks up right where the last one left off one year later. Uh, Patricia Arquette, mm-hmm. played by, played here by Tuesday Night. Seriously. Dreams of Freddy's creepy house with ensuite little girls doing weird shit. Never bothers them, does he? They're fine. He likes them. No. Are they his real children? <laughs> You're all my children now. Dad! Look, I told you you're special. <laughs> I meant they're my children it's... in a figurative sense. Don't you mean analogy? No, it's definitely figurative. Why did I raise you to be Stop. such a little bitch? Anyway. <laughs> only there are five creepy little girls in this one, not three, because fuck you, Wes Craven. I'm, <laughs> I'm Rennie Harlot. <laughs> Patricia Knight gets spooked and so sucks Kincaid from the last movie for a wall into her dream. And Joey's there too, I yeah. guess. He got there by bus. <laughs> He's also from the last film. Great. But Kincaid's dog, not from the last film, is there too, because I guess it got sucked for a wall. It bites her and she wakes up. The next morning, Tuesday Arquette meets her friends. Alice protagonist, Donnie Darko, rock chick who enjoys Dynasty, hot nerdy chick, and love interest. So Alice protagonist and Donnie Darko are brother and sister, and their dad, John Turturro, does not like how conservatively Alice protagonist is dressed. You dress like a whore like your mother did. God rest her soul. We get the second 80 song in five minutes, which informs us that we are living in desperate times. These are desperate times, my dear. There's no way out of here. There's no way out, my dear. And whilst I'm still ruminating on that, Pat Day Arknight meets up with Kincaid and Joey at the school. But they are students, because I guess no one had any further fucking questions at the end of Nightmare 3. You're all sane now, bye! <laughs> Off you go into the public. <laughs> You're their problem now. Thanks, Reagan. <laughs> that night, Kincaid is dreaming and ends up at the site where John Saxon and Paul Reiser buried Freddy's body in the last film. His mm. dog, um, sensitively named Jason, pisses a streak of fire which graphically resurrects Freddy. Uh, Kincaid throws a car at Freddy, but Freddy possesses all of the cars in the lot, traps Kincaid on a planet of cars, and then just stabs him. Uh, yeah. Joey, meanwhile, <laughs> is found drowned inside of his waterbed mattress. Obviously suicide. Yeah. <laughs> Tragic. Clear cut. So my, the clearest cut case. So my dad did it. <laughs> Choose Risha Nykert bonds with Alice Protagonist ah! over having the same voice and cadence of each other. Alice Protagonist is working at the Crave Inn, uh, which is a fabulous gag, and I just got the second meaning of it. It's not just oh, craving, oh, it's God. craven. As in fucking... Mm, that's... Ah. That's... Oh, that's very good, actually. Brilliant. She has a crush on Love Interest, who is a jock. But one of those nice ones, you know? Not the Stephen yeah. King ones. One of those ones where the writer of this wasn't terrified of all of the kids he went to school with ones. <laughs> 
Only Harlan was that fucking pimp. <laughs> he was the jock in Finland. <laughs> he bullied Ulrich. He bullied Lars. That's both of them. <laughs> Donnie Darko comes in with Tuesday Arquette and tells Alice, Hey, her two friends are dead. Oh, hey, guys. And goes off to hang out with his mates. Whilst his grieving girlfriend is comforted by his sister. Thanks, sis. <laughs> Alice asks what's going on. And Arkday replies, Look, you're going to hear all sorts of crazy stories. Like this one. And then explains Freddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheesecat gets abducted by Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, taken back to her house where Pfeiffer slips her some sedatives because no one ever learns anything in these movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, she dreams of being at the beach where Freddy's glove-style shark fin explodes a sandcastle. After falling through quicksand, she's all upside downsy housed when Freddy boiler rooms her and tricks her into mm-hmm. sucking Alice's protagonist into the lead role of the film. Oh no. Uh, Patricia Knight ends up all... Bu- fate worse than death. <laughs> you were lucky this time, Patricia Knight. She, she ends up all burned <laughs> in the boiler and stuck in Freddy chest. Uh, but she shoots her specialness mm. into Alice's protagonist first. Oh. Right, that's the intro taken care of. <laughs> Nerd girl's math goes nonsense and she gets sucked into the exam. She contends with a robot arm and then Freddy kisses her to death. As Robert Shea finally shoehorns himself into the movie as a boring teacher, Donnie Darko falls asleep in a toilet cubicle. And then after a gang of cheerleaders confound him for a bit, the cubicle turns into a plummeting elevator. Budget cuts then dictates he arrives in a not-quite-Japanese dojo, where he fights an invisible (laughs) Freddy, also budget cuts. He is told to find your balance, prick, and is then murdered by a good old-fashioned stab in the boy. Uh, Bob Shea's class explodes. Uh, It turns out that Alice is gaining personality traits and powers from each of her dead friends for some reason, including being really Mm -hmm. good with nunchucks from behind. Mm -hmm. John Turturro decides to be sad drunk instead of angry drunk, so Alice is able to go out into the night. She goes to an abandoned theatre rather satisfactorily showing Reefer Madness. She goes there with her girlfriend Gretchen and meets Frank, who tells her... Oh no, wait, that's that's something else. Um, Anyway, she gets sucked into the movie and sees all her friends in a pizza. Now... (laughs) Meanwhile, having previously been warned that she won't be able to bench press her way out of this one, Rock Chick is up next. <laughs> Alice Lowe, sorry, Alice Lowe, fuck me. <laughs> Alice and Love Interest get stuck in a recurring loop, and this Nightmare on Elm Street movie reminds me of the exterminating fucking angel. Thanks, Bob Shea. Prick. <laughs> nice. Uh, Rock Chick dies a horrible Cronenbergian co- death. Mm-hmm. Alice and Elle Interest try to run Freddy over in the road, but the car smashes around him. The two are very badly injured in the car crash, because I guess this part wasn't a dream. Riff Raff the handyman is the surgeon, who tells Alice that they will operate on him in 15 minutes, because surgeons do that. So, <laughs> now it's a matter of life and death, the movie and the thing, because Alice has to beat Freddy before Love Interest is put under for his urgent car accident operation. <laughs> and she does. She uses some really cool flips and a super-powered bug zapper which shoots a composite effect onto him. And then it turns out that Freddy can't stand his own reflection twist because neither could Alice earlier. I didn't mention that. Uh, they're both so insecure as the uh, thing. Yeah. Freddy's dead for real this time, but Alice sees him in a pond after. She attacks the pond and the movie ends. <laughs> pond wins? Pond wins. Damn, pond always uh, wins in my experience. Yeah. So, Paul, what did you think of Nightmare on Elm Street part this one? Oh, it's pretty bad, Paul. <laughs> I disagree. I... The end. Well... <laughs> No, I, I really didn't like the first half. It had a sluggishness to it, and that sluggishness was paired with um, some pretty poor acting, which is a mainstay hmm. of, of the Halloween the Halloween films, I've come to learn. <laughs> um, but but it was that and potentially sincere moments that I, could, I couldn't tell if, if they were sincere or insincere. And then Freddy was... He'd gone away from being his like belligerent, snappy talking kind mm-hmm. of Freddy in in this one. Sorry, I should say that when he was first ref- um, formed again, uh-huh. reformed. 
that's a very creepy shot. Mm. And when he's dealing with Kincaid, he's he's whispering and he's stroking his head after he stabbed him in the mm. gut. And I thought, oh fuck, they're going for a creepy Freddy in this one. This is this is an interesting <laughs> thing. Yeah. But then he's on the beach. He's putting on shades. And yeah. If it, it, it felt like they were setting him up to do something, and then they did an even they did a worse version of the belligerent cool Freddy in the third one. <laughs> all of the all the composite pieces just came just came together to leave no effect on me. However come to the second half of the film when we start getting into the Cronenbergian-ness of it. <laughs> Some really gruesome inventive deaths. <laughs> the the dream mechanics were starting to get a bit more interesting with him doing the loop, you know, looping around when they're trying to save um, yeah. Rock Chick. The whole uh, device of her taking on the personalities of the people mm. that have that Freddy's claimed was pretty cool. If it they'd was. have kept that kind of thing for the entirety of the film, I'd have, I'd have probably felt a bit better about it, but the first the first half didn't sit well with me at all. Well, I have to disagree there. I really loved this movie. It's for me it was just pure <laughs> cinematic joy from beginning all the way to the end. I loved it. Mm. I can't believe that the movie moves sluggish for you at first because it's just so fast moving. It's the thing. It's just from the very first minute, you've got this sort of musical montage and then another dream sequence and Freddy's back and characters from the last movie are getting sucked into dreams. And then we're introduced to new kids, Mm. each with their own quirky little personalities and back and forths. And oh, look, we're in a 50s diner now. Now this is a 50s Mm. movie pastiche with fucking jocks and letter jackets. And now back to the 80s for another fucking song written by one of the cast. It's just relentless. And then they're killing off people and you've got women in the waterbed and just a a planet made Mm. of cars. There's some really inventive shit in here and some very creative special effects. Mm. Um, I found that the sincere moments came in as much as I really enjoyed the cartoony characters. I felt they were all somewhat inadequately but quite sincerely played by the actors i really like lisa wilcox as um alice i don't know i just a charming quality to her that i quite like a sort of very shyness at the beginning it's a very strange film yeah. that's the quality that rennie harlan brought to this is it's very bizarre you're you're right there's a lot that happens in the first 45 minutes mm. but everything just felt really ineffectual to me you know jo- joey's enticed by the next naked lady yeah. that he's enticed by yeah and then he just ends up under the surface of the waterbed it didn't hit me i don't know why i loved no, it i, do, I, 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 I think i think i was just great visual of him just sort of floating mm. there it was really surreal and the woman the way she sort mm. of emerges and then she smiles the minute she makes eye contact with him and it's just a mm. very surreal shot of this under this sort of apparition appearing in the water. When when you're telling it back to me now, it sounds like it's it should be way more interesting than I found it, but mm. just didn't didn't work for me. Oh, unfortunate. Something was missing mm. till it got to the Cronenbergian <laughs> stuff, which was really horrible. Yeah, the dreams in this are truly horrific. There's some great practical yeah. effects. The special effects throughout really are, you know, with the exception of a couple of composite shots that are a bit messy. There's some really interesting mm. stuff here. Let's return to get some little bits of trivia about the production of this film from... Oh boy. What's it called? Never Sleep Again! Yay! After Dream Warriors, Freddy's audience expanded far beyond expectations. And New Line Cinema, like Freddy Krueger himself, began growing by leaps and bounds. Um, it was filmed during a big writer's strike, so Rennie Harlan had to come up with most of the nightmare himself, is what I've written there. Ooh. Brilliant. Good language, Paul. <laughs> and he reinvented Freddy as, and of course I do quote, the James Bond of horror movies. Um. Yeah. And he wanted the sunglasses because he wanted him to be like the hero of this movie. Like Tom Cruise. He also came up with the dog uh, fire pissing thing. Apparently because he's a dog lover. Um, And Robert England called that idea mythical. (laughs) 
course, once again, did I come up with some sort of phrase for the creepy corner of this fucking thing? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. But we can we can come up with one. <laughs> one. If I did, I'll edit me saying it in the last time. No. Um. He also gloats about convincing um naked women to writhe naked in Freddy's weird chest skin thing. It's very important symbolically for this thing, and you're bare, you're naked. So I got them to take their clothes off, and then I have these girls pressing themselves against the chest. And I was like, this is genius. Every teenage boy is gonna love this. Linnea, push up. Push your chest out, Linnea. Gross. You gross man. Oh. You gross to any harlot. God's sake. I blame Bob Shea. How long did it take He's them to cast element. the naked woman in this? <laughs> Forty-seven days. They saw 10 million women. The film was apparently inspired by Hong Kong martial arts horror film A Chinese Ghost Story, which is a very good film. Sure. (laughs) It does have that sort of freneticness to the editing and some of the the weirder special effects, people falling through hell Mm. and like... The, 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 when the camera is flying through fucking Freddy's body and all the souls like reaching out and screaming like yeah. a hell of him that was yeah. bizarre oh sorry we weren't done with Freddy Harlan's creepy moments um, he wanted Tuesday night's <laughs> back to those he wanted uh, Tuesday night's bikini to be skimpier in her beach scene um, and of course I fucking quote I know what a teenage boy likes in the end they conceded Aww. and she got that weird sort of Hawaiian wrap thing that she's wearing Yeah. so you don't have to see her butt Aww. Thanks, Aces. Um, Bob Shea was apparently not happy about Rennie Harlan's involvement and was a grumpy fuck to everyone involved. Um, but then after it made a shitload of money and got really good reviews, he got nicer. Oh. And uh, Wes Craven right, Wes Craven also complimented the film. So grumpy old men love this movie. Despite the lack of teenagers' butts. <laughs> not enough butts. More butts in the next one. Ooh, a lot of bitches, though. <laughs> this, is, this, this seems to be the film where Freddy really gets into the, the em- bitch. He embraces the bitch in this one. <laughs> yeah. I've been guarding my gate for a long time, bitch. We'll see, bitch. Bon appetit, bitch. Paul, what was your one spooky thing? Do you know what? My spooky thing and uh, is the same as the best kill. Oh, okay. Give, in, give in them to one. me both. Right, it's uh, Sheila's death. Okay. Nerdy math chick oh wow he kisses her and sucks sucks her dry yeah and she, she goes flat at first and then her eyes start bulging yeah alternately and then and then when she's empty he just fucking throws her onto the ground <laughs> i'm done with you now <laughs> it's um what a it's, suck it's face really grim because it's yeah because no. it's, it's also the first gory bit in the film yeah. it's been very tame until then yeah it's been more su- sort of suggestive um yeah i do want to say then, yeah I, I dislike the fact that I, I don't know if it comes back the other way, but in the first two Freddy movies, he was a slasher. He would slash with his yeah. claws and create these big long gashes that were upsetting to look yeah. at. Ever since the third one, he's been a stabber. And that's not nearly as fu- interesting fun. It's not nearly as horny. Yeah. <laughs> not nearly. Semi-chub. Um, Max. At most. It works really well in the second one when he just does it to that guy and he's left on screen going, ah! Yeah. But <laughs> that's a one-off when it's just, it's the least gory thing you can do with a, with a hand claw as well. So yeah. it's just, because everything's hidden. Yeah. Um, my one spooky thing is separate from my best kill. The spooky thing is the theatre. She just got dreams and goes into this spooky old theatre that's just really mm. creepy and sort of staffed by this creepy person and then inside yeah. the place it's all black and white that sequence and she gets sucked into the screen in a fairly decent special effect yeah. that's quite that's quite yeah. cool and yeah and even the sort of subsequent scene in the restaurant with the soul food it's a very good special effect it's a very good special effect it was fucking hilarious yeah. though it was that and his uh, his children that are all sort of screaming in his chest yeah they're both very very funny I mean for me, for me. this is horror comedy it's like creep show and yeah. I'm quite happy with that because I do feel like the two emotions are related 
You know, you don't have to mm. be really unhappy to be frightened. You can be a little spooked mm. out by, you know, something that's hilarious. But this one was definitely more comedy yeah. than horror. Best kill is Bug Girl. I can't remember her name. The rocker. Um, she... Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, she's doing push-ups. Freddy, like, shoves the weights down and it, like, breaks her yeah. elbows open. They sort of just yeah. burst open and there's bone there. And then the worst moment for me is when she le- sits up. And her arms sort of just dangle and like bounce as <laughs> yeah. they come down, like broken yeah. and useless. And then the arms yeah. drop off and little insect parts come out. And who the fuck came up with this? Just insect bits <laughs> just spray out of her and her skin falls off. And the, the prosthetics look great and it's a really good yeah. special effect. And it's, it is nightmarish. And then she dies a yeah. bug. Yeah, she dies a bug. It's great. It's really great. <laughs> yeah, good stuff. And your franchise yeah. noise? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So... The series was at the height of its popularity in 1988, so they quickly scrapped together a new film for August 89. And the best way to do that. The best way to scrap. A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. <laughs> the, film is, yep. the film is directed by Stephen Hopkins, who also directed mm-hmm. Predator 2, Predator Harder. Yeah. Fred Harder, Lost in Space, oh. Yay, and The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. What? <laughs> yeah. <That> great film. <laughs> I fixed all your toys for you. That horrible great film. <laughs> he did that after Lost in Space. He's like, God, he's like tall. New direction. Every album. All right, Paul, what's all this then? Well, this one starts with another, another Edgar Allan Poe quote, which I thought was weird. Same one from number three, I thought. And then the title screen for Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors came up and I realised that I had to find another copy. <laughs> um, sex. That's, that's what this film's about and starts with a sweaty butt is being traced with a careful hand. The camera pans out to reveal this year's winners of the Survivor Casting Month with Robert Shea competition. It's Alice and Dan from the last film. It was actually Robert Shea cast himself as Hulk. <laughs> Hulk, Hulk, and then... <laughs> Hunky Hulk, Robert Shea. Alice from the last film takes a shower in the nude, but never mind that because the plug hole seems to be pumping shitty water into the shower. It almost drowns her. She breaks out, but not into the bathroom. There's a corridor of madmen, and we see that Alice is playing the part of Amanda Kruger, just as she's trapped in the asylum for the worst summer of her life. God, anyway, that's the first minute of the film. Graduation. Uh, we, we meet the new team. Alice and Love Interest from the last one. Adamant, Horsey X model Sybil Shepherd, and Rosario Diveson. Alice is worried about the dream she had. Love Interest dad is a shitty parent, which is a big surprise. Alice's dad, John Turturro, shows up. No longer a drunk, which is nice. Uh, then they all take a photo together, plus some people that haven't been introduced yet. Hooray! She goes to a park and is gutted to find Freddy's kids skipping about there. After some wandering, she finds a nun and chases her into a painting of a mansion. She wanders around a bit and then it cuts in dream to Amanda Kruger giving birth. Have you ever seen Mars Attacks? She gives birth to a Mars Attack and it chases Alice around a bit. <laughs> she then follows, follows it into a church and the baby Freddy monster rips the entire place up with its scream and Freddy's back. He bursts through a window <laughs> revealing he has knife feet. Anyway, the nun charges Alice with a mission of freeing her from a prison. It's the only way to stop Freddy. And then she disappears. We have some scenes of Adam Ant, horsey ex-model Sybil Shepherd, and Rosario Diveson at the pool. Rosario Diveson does some really good diving. That was the joke. Thanks for sticking with it. We learn that Adam Ant can't... St- <laughs> We learn that Adamant can't stand the sight of blood. Love Interest gets a call from Alice to say Freddy's back because of the dream. He goes to get her in the car and I guess falls asleep at the wheel immediately because Freddy is controlling the car. He crashes it, sends Love Interest flying through the windscreen, but he's okay. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger applies to car crashes for this lad. He steals a motorbike and plays out the escape from Shinra level in Final Fantasy VII, except in this, the motorbike is Freddy. It kind of assimilates with him, stabs him up and peels his skin off, burns some other things off and turns him into an inside-out ligament boy, which doesn't kill him or harm him in any way in the real world, 
but keeps him asleep for long enough to not notice the truck that plows into him head on. He's dead this time. Alice tries to tell everyone that Freddy Krueger's back, but as ever, no one believes her, and a doctor says, don't worry, you're a woman, so it's natural to be a little hysterical from time to time. Also, you're a, lit you're a little pregnant, says Rod Rosario Diveson. She also asks Alice to keep this dream stuff between the two of them. So in the next scene, Alice tells everyone about Freddy and the dream <laughs> stuff, and unbelievably, no one believes her. They all say they'll protect her, thinking they're doing the right thing, but actually doing the worst. In the hospital, a little boy named Jacob shows up. He looks like Neville Longbottom a little bit, but I'm going to call him <laughs> Jacob! <laughs> Horsey ex Sybil attends a dinner with a horrible mum and the production crew for the Elm Street franchise who all leer at and eye fuck her. She has an argument with her mother about eating. Freddy comes in, calls her a bitch before overfeeding her till her face swells up. It's really foul. And Alice sees her just before she's killed by Freddy. Freddy calls Alice a bitch as well. Adamant is starting to believe that there might be something to this Freddy business and asks Alice to tell him more. In a minute, she says, getting coffee. It takes 18 hours to make coffee because by the time she's back, Adamant has had time to draw Freddy's house and climb onto a bunk and fall asleep. Uh, she saves him from a dream. Jacob is back. He might be Alice's unborn child, but Kruger's telling him she thinks he's a dick. Dream over and Adamant's okay, but it looks like Freddy's doing something to the baby and she's getting dragged into a baby's dreams. It's groovy shit. Adamant reveals that Amanda Kruger's remains were never found and because she supposedly killed herself, her soul is going to be in torment forever and Alice decides she has to go into the dream world together. Rosaria Diveson goes to do a dive, but the diving board breaks. She dives into the pool, but it's now a puddle in a wasteland. And then boom, Freddy's world again. Alice is sucked into the dream. He chases the two of them in a Nosferatu type way but won't go into a certain room because of Amanda. Ugh. Adamant is reading a comic, it's a dream, oh no. Adamant turns into the superhero guy he's been sketching this entire time that I haven't mentioned yet because we're back to dream warriors now. He fills Freddy <laughs> full of lead and then Freddy fills him full of Fred. He turns him to paper <laughs> and slices him up a good'un. Also dead. Back into the dream world to get Amanda and save Jacob. They stab him with a spiked wheelchair and this continuously weird bald Freddy is mauled by madmen. They run about some Penrose stairs before Jacob tells Alice it's because Freddy knows her so well that they can't escape. She does something that gets Freddy to split from her in a great Adam Jonesy effect of mingling entities. <laughs> and then we cut to Diveson who has found Amanda. She's freed. Amanda tells Jacob he's the only one who can win now. Jacob gets a Freddy face and then challenges Freddy to a duel. Jacob causes the physical souls of the people Freddy killed in this film to burst out of him and fly sperm-like from his body. It's gross, it looks amazing, and then Freddy bursts, leaving only the demon Freddy child and another non-demon child. Amanda absorbs one and Alice the other. Uh, then Alice leaves before the dream world collapses on them all. Cut to nine months later-ish. The baby is a real boy. Alice, Totoro, John Totoro and Diveson have a lovely picnic, but we pan out to see a skipping girl. Oh shit. The credits play and it's another rap song. So that's good. Yay. What'd you make of this one? Ah, it was it, it was just like all the others, really, for me. It's um, <laughs> other, other, other oh, than the, average. <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than the third one, it's got a sort of standard... Elm Street fair for me. <laughs> There's some go really goofy moments that really made me yes. laugh. There's one yeah. very good Freddy line. What's the very good Freddy line? It's a boy! <laughs> <laughs> As, as immediately he, by him smiling and hugging himself. As, as he comes back from, from the Freddy baby. It's fucking brilliant and it made me laugh yeah. a lot. <laughs> there, there's a couple of really gross kills but not enough. And then yes. um, a, a third act that lost my interest. I think for me, it does some of its solemn moments actually really well. Some of the moments of just friends consoling each other. In, yeah. in Nightmare 4, it occurred to me that after each friend die, we get a shot of them at the cemetery and then that's it. <laughs> but in this... 
you get the sense of the sadness that this is a group yeah. of friends slowly getting smaller and there's a really nice scene between the three of them when they're in the warehouse it's not terribly well acted but when yeah Adamant he um he pisses off Rosario Diveson yeah uh, but then immediately changes his mind and goes to sort of make friends again yeah it's just more of a sense of these guys being real at some points because when they're first introduced yeah. the graduation scene that's fucking unbearable <laughs> you look like a nut. Dying to break her vows. Buy me on my own. Fabulous. Maybe I should spell it out for you. So you guys trying to tell you something? Yeah, when you're gonna run away with me. <laughs> Next huh? live. What's that? My undying love. Have some. <laughs> Mark, give it up. It's hopeless. No, no, I think I'm starting to wear it down. I really hated Horsey X Egg Shepherds. <laughs> Mum. I mean, oh, what yeah. is that? She was a cartoon character. Greta, that's not what a cover girl puts in her body. It was an interesting one because... It was. It, interesting by, premise. Yeah. Sort of the ba- getting stuck in the baby's dreams, but there's not much of a sense of that. The deaf... No. I mean, in addition to there only being three deaf sequences, they're sillier and simultaneously less inventive. Mm. The, the, the Freddy scenes are just a lot sillier. Like, this is the one that gave us Super Freddy. Faster than a bastard maniac. And Freddy Mm. on a fucking skateboard, which, like, even the producers shrugged at that one. It's like, well, that idea was being passed around for a lot, and eventually Mm. it became Freddy on a skateboard. Oh dear, because it was cheap. It sure was. Um, Was it just me who thought Freddy's effect, uh, makeup effects, looked terrible? (laughs) Like the makeup on Freddy, you look like Crichton this time. Yeah, early Crichton. I think he looks like um, he looked like if 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 Ben Kingsley were being done on Bo Selector. <laughs> it's a really a weird effect. It. Two of the kills in this I thought were interesting, or or at least weird and funny. And then the third yeah. one was really pedestrian. Mm. So it didn't even. Yeah. It's just just this distinct feeling of not trying. Yeah, it's just. Uh, well, apparently, there's a decapitation we didn't get to see. One thing oh. we should say is this film was cut to fuck. Oh. There's a bit where Horsey X Shepherd mm. um, has bits of, uh, you know, she's being force fed. He gets out a doll that's meant to be like a voodoo doll and stabs that, and her stomach opens, and he starts feeding her parts of her, like in addition to the stuff. It's like itchy and scratchy now. Oh, okay. Oh, that yeah. would have been good. And there's more of the bicycle stuff of like the guy's flesh falling off whilst the bike bits sort of take over. Yeah. So yeah, it was a little bit butchered. I don't know. That doesn't explain the tone of the thing. Yeah. yeah. It was you know it was a mess. And like you said, didn't get a sense of um, the baby's influencing her dreams until it was actually said. And whilst it's a, it's a cool yeah. idea. Yeah. In ex- in execution, it was just suffer from a case of don't give a fuck. Maybe the baby's dreams would be like more unstable. Maybe even Freddy's not quite. Yeah. At home because he can't control what the baby's going to imagine next. You know. Yeah. So it's. it's the, the whim of its moods you know yeah it's just sort of <laughs> because it doesn't have much context for things it's just a surreal space yeah you know? but it absolutely felt like freddie was in control of everything so yeah definitely it was just a, it was yeah pretty standard in that sense so let's have a look at i have to look at it every week <coughs> never sleep again after the stellar box office success of dream master and with the series at the height of its popularity New Line Cinema decided the time had come to tackle deeper, more mature themes. This film was a combination of executive producer Sarah Reicher's anxieties about motherhood and the decision to involve splatterpunk writers in this process. Uh That's why we have scenes in which Alice fights for her right to keep her baby and a scene where man gets melded into a motorbike. Mm, Which, you know, I was a big fan of. (laughs) Both of those. Both of those. (laughs) 
yeah, Ascent- essential liked... to the plot. I would have liked the the motherhood thing to have gone a bit, yeah. bit further. Yeah, what if Alice's dreams sort of contained stuff about the idea of yeah. her being a bad mum or an unprepared mum? Yeah. Yeah. No, no, just no, just, no, just Freddy's house again. Interesting ideas, but apparently it was hugely rushed. Uh, there was no finished script when they started. <gasps> there were late rewrites. Yeah. Um, an overstressed, almost first-time director, um, <laughs> and sets being built during shooting, and they said that they had to keep the noise down because they'd be shooting in the next set, which just has this wonderful connotation. So just. I wanted to disturb Robert England. <laughs> For the love of into, God. He's getting into character. Keep it down oh. in there, bitch. <laughs> Shit, he's angry. He's angry. God, he's good. <laughs> um, he, like, he, he reminded me of Bruce Forsyth in this one, the way he moved around. <laughs> like he's introdu- introducing a game show. Nine fingers to see you. <laughs> Shall we string him up higher or lower? It's so interesting you say game show host because actually in the documentary, Bob Shea or John Skip, I forget, but they both said they wanted to make Fre- Freddy scary again because there was a sense that he had become too much like a car salesman or a game show host. Bloody Whoops, hell. Didn't do that. Oh, you know what we bloody did? We doubled down. Yeah. <laughs> did the opposite of what we said we were going to do. <laughs> Complete again. opposite. Uh, now let's go back into Creepy Corner. Oh, boy. I love it here. It smells of old fag packets. <laughs> uh, one of the production guys said that he had a mould of actress Erica Anderson's head for this uh, stuffing scene. And he was allowed to keep it. And in his words, he told Erica Anderson that he was using it as his bath toy. And she kind of freaked out. These movies were made by creeps. This is the worst thing that you've ever <laughs> asked me to do or be a part of. <laughs> don't, don't watch these, everyone. <laughs> Hey, just because some fucking production designer guy, he wasn't that, he was what a, a special effects worker, just because he's an absolute fucking monster <laughs> doesn't mean that that makes the same is true of the people no. who enjoy these movies. You can't judge a franchise by its monsters. <laughs> Stephen Hopkins said, um, com- well, I'll just take this completely out of context and I'll play a clip of him saying, The idea of a thousand maniacs raping a nun, that's always good stuff. <laughs> I feel a bit bad for taking that out of context, but don't fucking say that, you lunatic. (laughs) Think about your words. You're grown up. Use your around people voice. (laughs) You went on to direct the life and death of Peter Sellers, mate. (laughs) You you know everything about tact. (laughs) This was the last poster to be designed by Matthew Joseph Peake. I've been sending you these posters each week. He did a series of paintings to use. In mm. the posters for these films, and they're pretty extraordinary. Full on sort of 80s horror art. You can tell that they're paintings. They've got these vivid colours, beautiful surreal elements. It's mm. it's really quite striking. What was the one spooky thing? The Corridor of Madmen, I thought. It was great. Ooh. There's something so, really, um, I don't know, it, it had a bit of a 12 Monkeys vibe, but also quite an, un- an unsettling psychological horror. Good stuff. Um, I quite liked a lot of elements of the birth where Amanda Cr- we see Amanda Crew mm, give birth to Freddy. Yeah. There's a moment where I think it's whilst Alice is still sort of imagining herself as Amanda Kruger, and yeah. all the doctors suddenly start go really quiet and like start yeah. and just sort of glance at each other, and one of them starts shaking. It's inexplicable human behaviour. It's very freaky. I like the way it teases seeing Freddy. Mm. Like um, he gets born, and everyone's just like looking at each other. Yeah, it reminded me of like Eraserhead, the David Lynch bit, where it's like, "Mom, they're still not sure it is a baby." <laughs> yeah, that was good. It's some nice, it's- some nice sort of. 
real life body horror stuff going yeah. on there. <laughs> there isn't Freddy okay. Krueger jumping through windows with knife feet. <laughs> Surf's up! Um, <laughs> Paul, what's your best kill? The love interest kill. Reminded me of Tetsuo, the Iron Man. Oh, fuck. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> what? E- even was... the Iron Man reference? Yeah, even Tetsuo, the Iron Man. <laughs> really? Oh, brilliant. Yeah, that's exactly what great? I thought of. Great. We can have the same one, I guess. I'll, I'll add us a second that the um, yeah. the stuff stuffing her up scene is quite... Um, yeah. Quite horrific. It's pretty That's disgusting. Really moment. But I, I yeah. think we can we can share our best kill. Best kill's best kill, man. Yeah, man. Oh, it's definitely the one they put the most effort into. Oh yeah, for sure. If they'd have put the, like that much effort into another ten percent of the film, <laughs> it would have been memorable. Four situation here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Franchise noise. Brilliant. Okay, yeah. on to part six. <gasps> right. So part ah. five, the dream. Cha- Jesus, sorry. <laughs> So, Part 5 The Dream Child came out in 1989, the year that killed all three big horror movie franchises. Uh, 1989 saw Halloween 5, Friday the 13th Part 8, Jason Takes Manhattan, and Dream Child. And they all did badly. Dream Child was the lowest grossing nightmare movie. And all three franchises then made an installment claiming to be the last. Weird how that happens. Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday. Jason Goes to Hollywood. Um, (laughs) What did you get for Halloween? Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which kind of incidentally ended up being the last one for a while. And you get Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. I've been where the river ran. I'm drowning in a sunless sea. And it yeah. goes, a little something like this. Any concerns I have that this 1991 Freddy movie will have lost its 80s charm are immediately dispelled by the opening song and Oregon Trail-style intro. We (laughs) start on a plane being piloted by Bob Shea. His (laughs) co-pilot, Wes Craven, bailed out quite a long time ago. The only parachute. It's it's fucking going down, everyone. (laughs) And Bob Shea is taking you with him. Uh, We're introduced to an unknown teenager who notices his window is crying. After asking to be seated (laughs) behind a less ominous child, the plane explodes and he falls to the ground. It's all right, though. He wakes up in a house. But, oh, no, the, pl- the house also fell out of a plane. Ah, hate those houses. <laughs> Just trying to visit his house, mum. <laughs> oh, you know how these movies have always teased Freddy for the first 15 minutes before actually showing him? Mm. Oh, there he is. Yeah. Oh, hi, hi Freddy. <laughs> He's the Wicked Witch of the West now. I'll get you, my pretty, and your little soul, too. Oh, God. You know the rest. Oh, Freddy's so scary. <laughs> uh, the unknown teenager falls down the rest of the credits to the tune of Night on Bald Mountain because anything goes this time. <laughs> uh, he gets hit by Freddy the Busman because seriously, fucking anything. <laughs> anything. What did you dream about last night? That. <laughs> Freddy tells him to go get him something and then throws him through nighttime. The teenager ends up at a home for troubled kids along with Kung Fu Chick, Stoner, and Deaf Guy. Uh, he, will, he will be known as John, John Doe. They are all looked after by Demi Moore. <laughs> Stoner gets told off by security because he really oughtn't be making pipe bombs. Little scamp. <laughs> Demi Moore goes to add it to the arsenal that this right toe rag has been assembling for no reason. He doesn't even know about Freddy yet. None of these kids are being haunted yet. Uh, Kung Fu Chick doesn't like to be touched except for most of the time. And Deaf Kid is deaf. But he has a hearing aid so he's not deaf. Yeah. Uh, Demi Moore goes to complain to Parker from Alien. That the kids he treats are acting up a bit, you know, but what do you uh, expect? Yeah. And he has 23 minutes a week with them. He tried 24 <laughs> minutes once, but he got a little bit bored. <laughs> Started shouting, shouting about pipe bombs. <laughs> uh, he also has a poster that he picked up at the exposition exhibit he went to. Turns <laughs> out there are dream snakes. Anyway, uh, Demi Moore decides to take John Doe back to Elm Street Town to jog his memory. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, he has amnesia, by the way. That's the wonder of amnesia. It always keeps you guessing. Where are you from? I don't know! What's your name? I don't know! <laughs> Where are you from? I don't know! <laughs> Who did your parents vote for in the 1988 presidential election? I don't know! <laughs> yeah, it's amnesia, all right. I doubt about that. <laughs> did you ask all three? Yeah, I asked all three. <laughs> look, look, three, yeah, uh... three ticks. Look, you don't need to slide the paper across. I can see. Uh, so just... <laughs> And the box is ticked as, I don't know, exclamation mark. <laughs> exclamation mark. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so she drives him back, but it turns mm -hmm. out all the other named characters I've mentioned, except Parker from Alien and Freddy, are in the bus with them. <laughs> Cripes. Uh, they stowed away like a regular Liam Cochran. Google it. <laughs> Demi Moore drops off the three kids she didn't intend to take with her at a fun fair, where she trusts that they will do the right thing <laughs> and not visit the fun fair and just call home and get picked up to go home. Mm -hmm. These are good kids. Fortunately, they get freaked out by noted racist at Roseanne Barr and not noted anything Tom Arnold. <laughs> so they steal the van and drive away, leaving Demi Moore and John Doe in Silent Hill, where they need to clear the school and the orphanage levels, but not look at the letter from Mary too many times or they will get the bad ending. Um, it turns out that the town finally succumbed. Succumb? Is that a word? I wrote it and it underlined it, so I had to uh, change it to succumbed. Well, the, the, the past tense of succumb. Yeah, succumbed. Yeah, succumbed, sure. Let's do it. It turns out that the town finally succumbed to that bad Beautiful. acting disease that's been <laughs> affecting parents since the first film. Luckily, John Doe and Demi Moore are all too happy to just completely fucking ignore most of the people they encounter. <laughs> Ultimately, they find out that Freddy has a kid. Oh no. Probably a good time to mention that Je Demi Moore keeps having flashbacks to her own childhood where her dad says to her things like, Come to daddy. And welcome to prime time, bitch. Yeah. I wonder who Freddy's kid is. <laughs> it's probably John Doe. Got a good feeling about John Doe. <laughs> Look at that creepy kid's picture. It's signed Kay Kruger. That's Kid Kruger, a John Doe boy, obviously. The three kids in a van are lost, and oh. Kung Fu refuses to look at a map of this place she's never fucking been to before. Mm -hmm. That'd be for losers. <laughs> Maps is for losers. They end up at a house, but surprise, it kind of looks like the house from the first movie a bit. Whoa. Deaf Kid falls asleep first, mm -hmm. and finds that the words of the Prophet are written on the subway walls and tenement halls, and that's where he is, the tenement building, where his Freddy mum clears his ears out of his ears, mm. uh, then gives him a super hearing aid. Mm. Makes his head explode with a chalkboard. It's all very good. Mm. Stoner kid next. He gets killed in a video game because he played one earlier, I think. Uh, Freddy uses a controller to make him bounce around the house with cartoon sound effects because fucking seriously, anything, <laughs> anything. <laughs> Kung Fu and John Doe respectively use a meditation technique and a brick to the face to enter the dream where they find <laughs> Freddy making his own comic sound effects whilst playing a video game. <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid so, John <laughs> replies. He did used to be scary. Boing, boing! <laughs> anyway, Stoner Kid dies and they drag oh, no. sleeping John Doe out to the van where he dies on the way back because it turns out he's not the dream warrior. The dream child or Freddy's dead. Yeah. So he just gets... He just gets dropped onto some pointy bastards. Freddy announces proudly that it's traveling time, as if that were a thing. <laughs> he goes inside of Demi Moore, who turns out to be his daughter. Nobody can remember the dead kids. Don't worry, none of this is actually going to be explored. It's just, it's actually nearly over. <laughs> so they each have another ineffective run-in with, run with Freddy. Mm -hmm. Kung Fu this bitch, says Freddy to Kung Fu Chick, which she immediately does, beating the living shit out of him. Uh -huh. I've learned some new tricks, Doc. Freddy says to Parker from Alien before Parker from Alien beats the living shit out of him. <laughs> I think Demi Moore also gets to beat the shit out of him, at least once with a pipe or something. Anyway, it's time for a climax because it's just getting embarrassing now for Freddy. <laughs> so Freddy at one stage brags about the various attempts to kill him, saying, Burning me didn't work. Burying me didn't work. Has anyone tried a pipe bomb? Uh, yes, it didn't work, because I'm super scary. Also, I made a deal with those dream snakes, and that's why I can live forever. 
Okay, cool. <laughs> You're not still thinking about the pipe bomb thing, are you? Because it won't work. Seriously, don't even try it. It'd be really embarrassing. All your friends <laughs> you. there will laugh at you. They say, they're they there. Look, they're saying, ha, 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 stinky pants Johnson over here. And That's I'm... the real nightmare. Anyway, my copy... My copy of the DVD tells me to put on my 3D glasses because it's the future of cinema, according to James Cameron. Um, it immediately sucked, but the glasses I got with my limited edition of Friday the 13th Part 3 worked a lot better, so it was okay, kind of. The film becomes the cell for a bit as Demi Moore tries to explore some of Freddy's childhood hobbies, mm. which include hamster stomping, getting yelled at, and beating his stepdad to death. You've got to keep yourself busy, especially in little towns. Pulls him out of the dream because it worked so well for Nancy five movies ago. Yeah. Only this time she expertly pins him to the wall with pointy things and then blows him up with a pipe bomb. Yeah. And they all leave whilst a montage of Freddy's finest moment. Moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that one. Uh, yeah. oh, brilliant. A montage of it. Uh, <laughs> plays out to an Iggy Pop song. It's a fitting end to a fucking ridiculous horror icon. So, Paul, what did you make of that? Uh, I quite liked it. Yeah. <laughs> it was the dumbest one. Yeah, but, definitely. But it was so jam-packed full of w- amazing effects and, <laughs> and and funny, inventive moments that I just yeah. quite enjoyed it. It was, um, it was, it was very <laughs> playful. Um, yeah. And I actually, out of all the performances so far, this is my favourite group of kids. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah, they were they were quite natural, weren't they? Very natural. And I enjoyed the back and forth, constant piss taking and, and sort of <laughs> anger that went between them. There's some really great one, really great lines. Um, yeah. The guy from Road Trip was in it. That was great. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and I just think back to all the, the bits that... I made me sit up and go. Oh, that was quite mm. good. Like taking the setup with the hearing aid. Um, yes, I thought it was great. And the coolest effect for me was, I think it's John Doe. She, he gets he gets Kung Fu Chick to knock him out, and yeah. she and she. Oh, be- he falls through the table. Yeah, and he just smashes yeah. through the table. The, the splints of wood go flying everywhere, but he's he doesn't fall through the table he goes into the table and yeah, into yeah. the dream into the dream world but it looks so good it's just a, it's just a split yeah, second does. effect it's um, a very smooth motion and the actor really sort of threw himself into yeah. it yeah so it's really yeah. weird that all of that would happen and the film just be completely ridiculous and freddy just <laughs> just a clown oh jesus he is a clown he's a i mean we'll come to it in a moment but yeah he's a cartoon character oh jesus for me i think it was very poorly assembled is something i noticed about it the mm. editing was terrible from scene to scene yeah we were just cut abruptly from the end of one moment to another it wasn't it was never motivated by action or mm. any sort of story beat it would just be i'm gonna say this okay great cut <laughs> yeah later on same character, almost the same angle, but nighttime now. So it just looks like they exploded into this. There's no trace of horror left now. It's, it's full on comic book. Complete but, with sound effects. Complete with sound effects. But it is very fun. Yeah. It's very silly. It's interesting to see what happens when they really lean into mm. it. That montage at the very end mm. was, um, it really showed how the series has evolved. <laughs> Just going back to Heather Lagenkamp getting stalked around her tiny bedroom by a creepy guy in the shadows. Yeah. And then Bike Boy. <laughs> Good enough. <laughs> Spooky. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, I. Bob Shea. Going into this, I was definitely under the impression that Nightmare on Elm Street was supposed to be a scary franchise. Um, yes. How wrong I was. I, I hold my <laughs> hands up and say, okay, maybe I don't know everything. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. I think the majority of them are still pitched towards horror. It just got really fucking crazy in the last three. Pitched towards horror by a blind drunk man with no arms. <laughs> standing a long way away and facing in the wrong direction to the target. <laughs> Shall we do some learnings from Never Sleep Again? Didn't have to look this time. <laughs> just in time. <laughs> After the disappointment of the dream child, 
New Line Cinema found itself at a crossroads with the future of Freddy Krueger, prompting their boldest move yet. So Shay did say that he had felt the series had run out of ideas. Read, the franchise stopped making money. <laughs> uh, directed by one of the producers of Halloween 5, uh, Rachel Talladay, who doesn't have many other film credits aside from Tank Girl, uh, uh. but she did direct various episodes of C- Peter Capaldi's Doctor Who, Oh, uh, an episode of Sherlock, and an okay. episode of Iron Fist Season 2. Oh, brilliant. The, be- the better one. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> The one that got it cancelled. <laughs> Yay. And naturally, as uh, being a woman working professionally on the Nightmare on Elm Street series, I'm curious what's going to come from this documentary. <laughs> well, there's nothing creepy sexually, although okay. they did really traumatise that little girl, which is good. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> do they, do they you know, just lock her in that room with all the, the hand blades and, and go, this is real. <laughs> this, is your, this is your actual dad. No, they just actually shot Freddy beating her mother to death in front of her. So. Oh, okay. Aww. They could have done it in shot reverse shot without her having to be in the same place as it, but uh, Robert England and Bob Shea insisted. They're, f- they're pure pros. <laughs> we want to get her authentic reaction, which is to never, literally never sleep again. <laughs> so, Peter Jackson originally did a script for this, in which mm. Freddy had lost so much of his power that kids would go into the dream world just to fuck with him. <laughs> like, just to beat him up and such. <laughs> then a police officer goes into a coma and gets trapped in the dream world with Freddy. Okay. Good call not making that movie, Bob Shea. Not to worry, though. Peter Jackson would eventually work with New Line Cinema on some other fucking movie trilogy. Oh. Frighteners, I think. Oh, that's pretty good. It's Michael J. Yeah, Fox. Yeah, the trilogy. <laughs> John Doe is kind of meant to be Jacob from the last movie, all grown up. Oh, yeah, okay. Only they ended up not being able to get that actress back, so they decided, eh, fuck it. Oh, I thought you meant they couldn't get that baby back. I thought it really doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a really weird thing to be a perfectionist about Bob Shea. Uh, it's been a year now. Is he a teenager yet? No. Oh, stupid kids. Get a job. Stupid stupid time. <laughs> now, Robert England said that they wanted to make it a Warner Brothers cartoon. <laughs> okay, I wasn't expecting to hear that today. I just turned Freddy into Bugs Bunny, which they do. <laughs> I mean, the visual Effectively. gag spikes. Yeah. Where he just sort of looks towards camera. Paul, did you notice that Freddy's stepdad was Alice Cooper? Um, what? Freddy! You ready for it, boy? You've been away since the day I took you in. Now it's time to take your medicine. It's Alice Cooper. Jesus, no, I didn't know that. I thought you meant real life stepdad, and I was, I was <laughs> really, really shocked. <laughs> How? I don't know. He married Wes Craven. <laughs> Alice Cooper appeared in it on the proviso that he not looked like Alice Cooper. That's... So, huh. Effectively. I mean, he doesn't look like Alice Cooper. No. That's Ex- cool. Excellent makeup job. Would have taken ages. <laughs> Fake nose. They, did the, <laughs> they, did, they went the full Baldwin. Fake news? Fake nose. One of them. <laughs> Fake nose. All right, Paul. That's all I've got to say about the making of Freddy's Dead and <laughs> the new Nightmare on Elm Street. No, not the new Nightmare on Elm Street. The old one. The last. Whatever. Final. That was it. The final nightmare. Oh, boy. What a memorable title they chose. Well, yeah. <laughs> it rolls, oh. rolls off the tongue. It springs off the lips. <laughs> cups my balls. And, it dances uh, up your nose. Gives you a kiss. Paul, what was the one spooky thing about Freddy's dead, the final nightmare? Uh, it was the cr- the cotton bud through the brain. That was disgusting. Cool. I thought. Yeah. <laughs> jammed it right through. death. And it was, yeah. it was gross. My spooky thing is uh, the blood door. When they go into Freddy's house, which has somehow been disguised as not Freddy's house. Mm. Um... There's this weird effect where blood just starts treacling out of the door, and it's really effective. It looks creepy. Mm, lovely. And what is your best kill? Uh, it's can't but through the brain, but it's <laughs> but it's it's the full thing. So when he takes his ear yeah, um, hearing aid again, so you, all you can hear is him breathing and his pulse as Freddy pursues him. And he's he's behind yeah. him screaming and and taunting him, but you can't <laughs> hear anything. 
It's pretty grim. Yeah. The death in itself is fucking stupid, but um, it did have a creepy beginning. <laughs> so that was that was yeah. cool. I mean, it's basically mine too, but you've decided that the last half wasn't very good, so I'll just have that. Um, the <laughs> pin dropping moment was quite good. Oh, like it's when he's, um, hilarious. Dropping a pin and it's falling through the thing, and it's it's menacing when he sort of drop. <laughs> I wish that the resultant cacophony was bigger mm. or sort of better, but it's still spooky the idea that a single pin caused this much anxiety, and now he's about to drop a handload of them. Yeah, true. Um, the only other death that was uh, worth anything was on the, the film uh, spikes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and your franchise noise. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh. Stop punching me! <laughs> no! We could actually stop there. This is the last movie in this chronology. There are no direct sequels to Freddy's Dead. Okay. The next step was to t- was what all of the big franchise did many years after their supposed finales and ignore several sequels to make something a little bit different. Okay. So I would suggest we stop here and cover the final film in Oddities, but last year we did do Halloween H20, which serves as a direct sequel to the first Halloween. Mm. And this one kind of does the same. Next year, we're going to have Jason X, which also ignores its uh, supposed finale. This year, we have Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Do, do, do. Ah. Do, do, do. Dumb. Welcome back to the present, listeners at home. Welcome back to the present, gang. We've only got Mm. one movie left. And as past me just said, it's Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Written and directed by Wes Anderson. How? Bitch. Uh, released ten years after the original film, because fuck me, all of this only took ten years. (laughs) That just never ceases to amaze me. What productivity. A cool, clean decade of Freddy. Yes, those adjectives. Alright, Paul, this is the last time I'm going to ask you this. (sighs) Okay. Please tell me about the plot to a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Preferably Wes Craven's New Nightmare. But I'm not fussy at this stage. Hammers. A human hand is putting them together, then cuts off his own hand. <laughs> uh, oh no, it's a film set being directed by literal Wes Craven in a surprise meta appearance there. Nancy is in the film again. Her kid's in it too. Nancy's also called Heather. Is it is in her real name? Anyway, the metal hand takes on a life of its own and kills someone. Only a tech guy, thank God. But then it kills her husband, oh no. Oh, and then it's a dream. There's an earthquake, they huddle like a bunch of losers, but it turns out that a wake husband has some cuts on his hand. <laughs> Probably from wanking, just like the rest of us, but he lies and says it's a scratch because of the earthquake. <laughs> it was razor-like cock. Turns out there's been a lot of earthquakes and Nancy Heather is getting a lot of phone calls. Husband has to go now. The most unprofessional limo <laughs> driver picks up Heather and reveals that she is a, an famous actor in a Freddy Krueger film. He says the first film was the best, but they never should have killed off Freddy. Wes Craven's a genius. Heather Lankin Camp is on a <laughs> chat show and they discuss the future of the Elm Street franchise. This is all great. Then Robert England shows up as Freddy Krueger and high fives some kids say some catchphrases it's all totally normal and i wish i'd seen this before scream heather goes to see bob shay he wants to resuscitate freddie because the fans have been clamoring for it her son dylan has gone wrong uh husband is coming home again it'll be three hours fuck la fuck london too i hate it heather just saw the boy next door because she gets halfway through hansel and gretel before asking her son why he likes these stupid fairy tales she then realizes that it's kind of similar to how they killed freddie in the film and stops reading. <laughs> Never mind that, because husband's coming home still. Fuck LA and London when a clawed hand comes up through a CGI chair, which looks slightly less good than one made of sponge cake, but this is really academic because the claw shits him in the chest not once, not twice, but once times, and the car drives off the cliff like he was Achilles trying to prove a point with very limited means. <laughs> After some cajoling and a really awkward exchange, the police finally tell Heather that her husband is dead. She asks to see his body, but enough to see that a claw has indeed shitted up his chest. He was clawed, she said. Yeah, replies the Morgman. That's why we don't 
pull the sheet down past the head. Anyway, if you'll just sign, but she's gone, so they're not allowed to let him die. That's dead law at work there. <laughs> at the funeral, they have one anyway. There's another earthquake during which Dylan, Damien, the Satan child, goes missing. In fact, he's dragged through the coffin by Freddy. She rescues him, but sees a claw retreating. Dilmian uh, starts sleepwalking, it turns out. He's a scared little boy. He doesn't want to sleep, and he recites the Freddy tune, One, two, Freddy's coming for you, which he picked up from the seeing girls that hang out in his bed. <laughs> Heather Nancy doesn't immediately put him in a mental institution, though, so she fails the Elm Street parent test. Aww. Heather calls Robert England, and they discuss how the Freddy in her dreams is scarier than he ever was in the films. Wes seems to be writing the script that is dictating their lives. This is getting an awful lot like my novel Dockhead, available on Amazon for $5.99. <laughs> Heather wakes up from a Freddy dream to find Damien has taken to walking around with knives taped to his hand. He tries to stab up his mum, but this is a dream, oh no, dream within a dream. Damien is actually legit sleepwalking now. Heather answers the phone, a tongue comes out, and Damien froths from at least one orifice as he goes shit in his mother's arms. Finally, we have some classic Elm Street chat as the nurse blames the films Heather has appeared in, not his father's recent death for his emotional trauma. Also, he has schizophrenia, <laughs> reckons the nurse. They give him some meds to help him sleep, but he only pretends to take them. Then he falls asleep. In, a, in the script that Wes is writing, Freddy is done with the dream world and coming into their reality. And Heather is the gatekeeper, or Nancy is. Anyway, the only way to stop him is by making a film about all of this. And then we get to see the script on an old DOS screen repeating the last scene, just in case it wasn't clear exactly what's been going on this in, this past hour. The tech guys <laughs> are dead for real this time. Oh, in a field, oh, no. though. So two, so two out of three ain't bad. She wakes from a dream, maybe, and goes into a wardrobe. And oh, no, Freddy except it's Freddy if he put on the mask, you know, the Jim Carrey mask. Then he disappears, leaving Nancy with no more than a knackered up wrist. Uh, there's more discussion where the nurse continues to blame Heather for Freddy ruining all the children in the world. <laughs> Heather says every child knows knows who Freddy is. He's like Santa Claus. So the nurses are trying to inject him with sleep drugs and Julie has a syringe fight with some nurses. And then Mask Freddy's here. He kills Julie, dragging her all about the room like in the first film. And Dylan goes off to the highway in his sleepwalk thing that he's doing. Freddy is directing and moving him from the skies like an awful Mufasa. He's okay though, 50 dead. Uh, there's a practical effect, but then Heather is calling her film dad, film dad. And the film dad is calling Heather Nancy. Ah, oh, it's meta. Mask Freddy is back god this film just keeps going hey eh? there's a hundred more references to the first film and she walks about the house being tormented she finds all the pills damien didn't take she takes them then enters t dream world she follows a hansley and gressley trail of pills into said world and then it gets abstract again and i trail she reads a script in the dream world that tells her how to win. Heather jams a snake in Freddy's eye, punches him into some candles, and twats him in the abs with a fire. There's a really on-the-nose Hansel and Gretel reference, just in case you didn't get the earlier several. And then there's uh, the long arms, the splooshy stairs. Freddy chases them, and then he doesn't because they win. Not before Freddy turns back into a cartoon character. They blaff him into a fire, and he becomes a demon and turns into a Home Alone soundtrack, bringing Heather Nancy and Damien back into the real world. But the script is there with them with a note from Wes Craven himself thanking her for playing Nancy one last time. She reads Damien the script and everyone makes peace with the franchise. Except for me. <laughs> yes, it's it's got some really good ideas. Yeah. There's some really interesting themes being explored. You know, why why do people like horror? What kind of people do you open yourself up to when you make a horror film? What's What, what kind of impact does horror have on people? Mm. Um I like the idea that Nancy has become an Elm Street parent and that she's going to experience the story. You know, what's the story like from the perspective of a parent whose kid is being haunted by a Freddy? Yeah. There's some interesting stuff to do there. And I like the idea that Freddy is a concept that's gotten away from the filmmakers. Um, there's an interesting yeah. intention versus effect possibility there. Some of that is fully realized. Mm. I like the whole 
fairy tales are old horror movies thing that's pretty fully explored and resolved yeah Um, the idea that horror movies are good because it's a way in which we can deal with our fears in a controllable environment yeah i also really appreciate the artistic creative side of things you know having a creation that's kind of gotten out of control and it's something that you really want to put to bed um you've got to make peace with it first and i really feel that's what wes craven was trying to do with this film and you know it's also yep. what the wes craven the character was saying that he wanted to do with the film so it wasn't exactly subtle but you're right it was yeah. a it was a really fresh take on it um it was the only the only thing that stopped it being really amazing was that i've seen all the scream films so that that's just <laughs> wes's thing now but yeah, I, yeah. I, can, I can imagine how when this first came out that that would have really changed things it changed freddy yeah. you know freddy wasn't the wisecracking yeah. whatever you know the like amorphous malleable cartoon character that he was from films two onwards he has a couple of lines but they're not he, witty they're just weird like hey Dylan, ever played skin the cat what yeah that's not the- he's mostly evil and when he takes yeah, yeah i know it's not it doesn't make sense that's not a thing but he's <laughs> he, he flits between like regular freddy and mask freddy and when he's mask freddy he's just this bad dream he's just this evil yeah. force and it's interesting because it kind of you know it kind of made him a little creepier again just for a bit yeah sure. um yeah i've got to say i appreciated a lot of it it was yeah me too I yeah think- problem is craven is a fabulous idea guy a dialogue guy though a directing actors guy though yeah. A pacing a story guy though <laughs> and actually fully exploring an idea guy though not yeah. really quite so much i'm afraid and to be clear i wasn't afraid not at all <laughs> no just story by wes craven script by i don't know kevin williamson he wrote yeah. scream right yeah sure aaron sorkin's probably looking for work <laughs> moment to moment it's a little clunky yeah just some of the performances are just a little cheesy the kid it kind of bounced back and forth between genuinely pathos inspiring and spooky kid cliche yeah there's a lot of weird static shots on him screaming you know weird close-ups and yeah you know a lot lot of unintentional doing his croaky voice unintentional crapness and it's 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 really mixed because i've I've really got to give it kudos for for trying something oh yeah new um the, the soundtrack yeah, was, was so bizarre yes very out of place um i said yesterday it felt like the right soundtrack to the wrong film it, it needed it, it felt like it should have been like for maybe perfect for north or <laughs> home alone or sort of an ep- <laughs> Like a, a, yeah. a, a kid's epic, not yeah, maybe. Wes Craven's I mean, new nightmare. <laughs> that end credit music. Of, oh, oh, I do, 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 do. Yeah. I do, 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 do. What the fuck is this? What is this is this? A Sonic the Hedgehog. Fresh Prince Halloween special. <laughs> when Will Smith and Carlton and Uncle Phil sat down to go through the Elm Street franchise <laughs> for their podcast. I mean, like you say, that's just a, a problem. It, the film is a little problematic, but it's still. And it's. I, what we've lost is the sense of fun, I think. It's a more. Yes. It's a better genuine horror film, but it has lost something in not being ludicrously camp i mean to go from <laughs> yeah. six to this is quite a fucking <laughs> gear shift i'm glad um, they didn't leave it at six i'm glad that this came on to sort of cap it off yeah. be a real sort of love letter to the original and to sort of unite everyone that was good it felt a lot more personal it did and i really appreciated that and at ogt you know we're all we're always big on people aiming big 
Yeah, definitely. And this was I that. Think. It just I think it just needed a, a, another screenwriter, and it would have been a lot better. Okay, let's get some trivia from the documentary. Let's finish off this bastard, although not really, because they do go <laughs> on to talk about Freddy vs. Jason and the television show that Freddy had. But oh, uh, good. for the See last time, year. <laughs> year after next. Right, well, so we're heading back to Never Sleep Again. Now that Freddy was dead and buried, and with the 10th anniversary of the original Elm Street approaching, the inevitable question was raised. Could everyone's favorite boogeyman be resurrected again? This movie was a reconciliation movie between Bob Shea and Wes Craven. Um, because Bob Shea did what Mustafa Akkad would never have fucking done. He paid Craven the money he owed him. Which, <laughs> frankly, is not the American way. Akkad would never have stooped to such depths. That's why everyone remembers Mustafa Akkad. <laughs> and no one, but no one, remembers Wes Shea. <laughs> Wes Shea. Wes Shaman. Um, there's an interesting... Shit, that's good. <laughs> there's an interesting moment... In the documentary, in which Heather Lagenkamp recalls the traumatic experience of having a stalker, um, because this TV show that she was in called Just the Ten of Us, which is a spinoff from Growing Pains, ended. So she got a stalker. (laughs) So she got a stalker because this really cheesy TV show she was in ended, and she had to move to London for five months, which is pretty upsetting. You know, no one should have to move to London ever. Yeah. Wes, at this point in the documentary, chimes in to gleefully point out that everyone likes to point the finger at Elm Street for influencing people's behaviour, but it was the cancel of just the ten of us that produced a stalker <laughs> so ha take that roger ebert and heather Langenkamp, i guess take that perceived ideals and yeah fuck you heather Langenkamp. forever <laughs> forever though. thank god you had a stalker for that can i just say i know you're gonna take this wrong heather but i'm really glad that you got a stalker for that <laughs> they said they wanted a very specific reaction from the kid and they got it by sending the mother away and the dad came over to the kid and said oh your mum's dead <laughs> apparently genuinely so I don't know what reaction it was they wanted from the kid. I'm hoping it was the bit where he goes, yeah. <laughs> Fucking hell. I know. There are no, no words like... for that, my mate. <laughs> the dad just sided up to Wes, An- no, Wes Anderson. Jesus. Yeah. To Wes Him. Craven. He sided up to Wes Anderson and said, oh, sorry. And then went and found Wes Craven. <laughs> he found Wes Craven and said to him, look, you want this fucking kid to cry, right? I've got this trick. <laughs> I don't like to do it, but you know, I'm just filming a scene of him having breakfast. I, I know, but you know, if you need it, if you need it, it's not really a trick, was it? <laughs> it's just a thing you. It's just a horrible thing you said. More just you being an awful person. Ta-da! Six and one. <laughs> oh Jesus! So apparently, a bunch of characters were told that they might be the stalker. You oh. know, the one who keeps calling Nancy, including Julie. Which I mean, it's very fucking interesting because she is always in the background. It doesn't ever have anything to do, Julie. Yeah. So the idea she might also be the stalker in, you know, conjunction with Freddy being about is pretty creepy. But, I mean, it doesn't really pay off. Maybe he was just practicing for Scream. Well, speaking of awkwardly segueing real-life tra- um, unfortunate events into the film, shortly after they filmed the earthquake sequence, the actual 1994 Northridge earthquake occurred, killing 57 people, injuring 9,000, and causing around $50 billion of property damage. Wes responded by sending out a crew to film some of the devastation to use in the movie. That's good production value. <laughs> Try not to get any of the corpses in it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So we've got a traumatised kid, oh, <laughs> a stalker, and now 57 dead. One last piece of unpleasantness. Um, apparently Nancy getting her head wrapped in a lubricated tongue near the end of the movie elicited so many jokes from male crew members that Craven had to point, had to make a point of reminding them all that she's a human being. Oh. His words. God, well at least Wes Craven ha- did that. 
<laughs> nice guy, Wes Craven. It's it's Come very. On, lads. I'll agree. It's horny as fuck. <laughs> Bob Shea on a leash. <laughs> like it's the fact that he had to say that is the worst thing in the world. But at least I know, right? Wes Craven said it, and I can imagine his face saying it. Yeah. Come on, guys. That helps. That's not, that's not right. Yeah. Hey, do anyone being. want to traumatize this kid again? It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> yeah. He's fine. He's not a human being. He's only, what, is he eight? Yeah. Children they're don't not, have souls. They're not real people until they're ten. Famous Spartan. <laughs> Wes Craven there. The film didn't do too well, which Bob Shea and some of the other producers like to say um, because it was too cerebral for the nightmare audience. Okay. Well. Should have been more like five and six, they said. Those box <laughs> office disasters. Oh, fuck everything. All right, Paul, what was the one spooky thing? The creepiest moment for me was um, when Freddy appeared behind Julie and he was just very ah. slowly pulling his hand- arm back to stab her up. <laughs> he wasn't just regular crazy Freddy. He was horrible mask villain Freddy. Yeah. And um, he looked like he had true, <laughs> true hate in his eyes. It was good. And she couldn't she couldn't see him. It was only Damien who could see him. It was a well, a well, well done scene. Shot, sorry. My bit one spooky thing is the hand. Um, at the very beginning, yeah. they make a gauntlet, a sort of robotic mm. Freddy glove. And when it goes out of control, it looks really mm. good when it's like scampering around the place. <laughs> Maybe they got the guy who did the Adams Family in because it looked, it just looked fabulous. What's your best kill? Oh, it's Julie. It's an homage to the first uh, Tina yeah. from the first film, but it's uh, it looked great. And a spinning room again. Freddy, Freddy, you see him this time. He's standing on the ceiling and he's standing on the wall and just leering at the kid while he's doing it. And... Yeah, it looked great dragging her, dragging her around, and the way Freddy just commanded the walls and ceiling was pretty, pretty great. <laughs> awesome. I'd say my best kill was um, the husband. Then um, I really did like the sort of knives coming out from between his legs, mm. which is obviously an homage to the bathtub sequence. Yeah. And then the blades just shove into his chest and like pull down, mm. like pulling open a flap on his chest. It's really quite grotesque, and there's blood shooting everywhere. Oh, great! It's uh. Yeah, it was dreamlike in as much as it's impossible, but it was subdued, you know, compared to the other, yeah, the other deaths of the franchise. Great. Okay. Um, let's have your franchise noise. Excellent. Now, Thanks. for the convenience of our audience, let's have all of those noises consecutively to sum up your feelings towards this mighty franchise. <coughs> And that was the Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> okay. All fucking done, Paul. Holy oh my shit. God. I can turn the page of my notebook to a fresh, a fresh page just waiting for whatever comes next, Hansel and Gretel. <laughs> Before we give our thoughts on the franchise as a whole, let's just refresh our memories by quick firing this entire big greasy bastard. <laughs> All seven films. Let's do it. Quick fire. I really like the cheekiness of starting off Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, of a quote from Nietzsche and then a quote from Freddy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Freddy one, I think, was just welcome to primetime, bitch. bitch. Yeah. Oh, you've actually mentioned this as being something that you found difficult to watch, and that's Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master, the weird swirling shot where Kirsten has been drugged by um, Michelle Pfeiffer. And she's in a mm. room just trying to stay awake and the camera just keeps swaying and swinging oh, yeah, around yeah. her and rotating from above. It's yeah. really, it's quite affecting. It, it really articulates the idea of losing control. Yeah. I like that a lot. Do you know who that reminded me of, Paul? Is that Avanovsky? Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck yeah. Yeah, Gaspar Noe, everyone. He's back. He's back. <laughs> Gaspar Avanovsky. <laughs> um, in the original Nightmare on Pine Street... Um, body bag Tina was such an upsetting 
concept every time she showed up just wrapped mm. in plastic covered in blood like laura palmer made animate yeah when she appears in the corridor and when she's being just dragged across the floor it's very unpleasant that was yeah. good that was creepy the splooshy stairs a great effect was, that was absolutely brilliant <laughs> well you know what i actually really like the splooshy stairs from the um seventh one I yeah that looked really good it's like a good update yeah. on that yeah absolutely from elm street six freddy's dead tired <laughs> the, the 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 effect of of uh, what's his face rolling forever down and up a hill he falls out of the plane and then rolls down a hill and it's just ongoing it's it's really great it's <laughs> Yeah. Really making use of that dream mechanic. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Sandwiches? No, different one. <laughs> uh, in a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Sandwiches... Uh, fuck, I was going to go sandwiches <laughs> Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Can't even... Can't even fuck this properly. In a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, Dream Warriors... <laughs> um, I really like that Lawrence Fishburne was quite a natural in the yeah. role. Um, in particular, his line, Look, my kid's been dying off. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Nightmare, Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Dream Childs. Freddy. Freddy skeleton reforming is gross. It's really gross, and it's oh, a really yeah. great effect. Definitely. I really like the dream logic in the original Nightmare on Elm Street of Nancy asking Glenn if he's still awake inside of her dream. Yes. And she turns back to say, "Glenn, are you still awake?" And he comes out of the dream to say, "Yeah." So he's <laughs> like, "Just checking." Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the sort of thing you'd only really that would only make sense to you in a dream. Yes. And I like that. Yeah. Um, and then immediately followed by her waking up and turning to Johnny Depp and just saying, Glenn, you bastard. She gets like a crunchy bastard. Speaking of, speaking of Johnny Depp, some good sweatpants there. <laughs> yeah, fuck yeah. Speaking of the sort of slick love interest types, I really liked um, in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, Dream Children. <laughs> Cream Children. Nice. Um, I really liked the, the boyfriend's uh, line, I'll have a home by August. Well, in uh, in Freddy's Dead, that's what I said. Is that South Park song Kenny's Dead? You know the one I mean from the album <laughs> Chef Aid. I really love the hearing aid effect. Oh yeah, the way they set it up early on, and then they use it in uh, the killing of of uh, the guy with the hearing aid, whatever his name is, with the cotton <laughs> bird. Good stuff. Well, in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three, uh, Dream Warriors come out to play. Um, I really like how long the audience is given to read "Come and Get Him, Bitch." It gets scratched into the little kids yeah. into Joey's stomach. I think it's Joey, and it just lingers there for yeah. a really long time. So it's like, did did, did you get it? Did, did you read as far as did you read as far as bitch? Okay, okay, good. <laughs> Let's move on. Speaking of messages from Freddy in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 6, Freddy's Shed, we uh, <laughs> see the enormous map scene, which is amazing. Yes. When um, the, the kid is trying to open this map and it opens and opens again and opens until it's about 100 square feet yeah. in total. And then he finally gets to the bit of the map that he needs to see. And it just says, you're fucked in yeah. blood written on it. But he's, he's brought out of his reverie by, you know, not Starbuck. He's driving the van. Yeah. And he says, what are you doing? And he turns to her and goes... Well, the map says we're fucked. It is brilliant. (laughs) What a great fucking punchline to that scene. That's a really good punchline. In A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, Dream Toaster, it's a picture of all the friends together (laughs) before anything went bad. And you can see that Lisa is kind of hiding behind everyone else. And it's not drawn attention Mm. to, but it's just another indication that she's the shy one of the group. And I really like that bit of subtle storytelling. Okay, in Wes Craven's new Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, wait, I've just got it. That's what he was referring to. <laughs> um, anyway. These films are related. That's amazing. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have to say it out loud for it to 
<laughs> to get there. Wes Craven's brilliant. Anyway, I love the character of Robert England in this, <laughs> in this film. The fucking he's so painter. soft-spoken. Renaissance yeah, man. Yeah, he's so soft-spoken and tender. He paints. He's wearing these sort of Ringo glasses. <laughs> and, he, and he drinks out of little teacups. He's just, he's just such a soft, <laughs> wonderful man. <sighs> in the original Some Nightmares on Elm Street, um, I really like Johnny Depp's protracted sound effect reel gag. In which he's produced a sound effects tape in order to convince his oh, mum yeah, yeah, that he's yeah. um, what even is it originally that he's in traffic or something or that he's something like that yeah. Well, that then... that's it. That he's staying at his cousin's by the airport, so he has a fucking sound effects reel featuring plane noises. Huh? Yeah, noisy as usual. <laughs> Glad we don't live here, huh? Yeah, Aunt Eunice says hello. Right, right. I'll call you in the morning. Yeah, yeah, sure. I... Uh, just some kids drag racing outside, I think, Ma. <laughs> Listen, Ma, I gotta go. I think there's been an accident out front. <laughs> right. That was quite a funny bit for a very obvious comedic yeah. moment. In A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Cream Child, there's a bit where after becoming a superhero, the nerdy kid says, Time to die, you scar-faced limp dick! And that's got some lovely consonants nice. coming up in a row there. It's nice and crunchy. Freddie Freddy does have some truly amazing lines and if we'd have condensed <laughs> if they'd have condensed all of the amazing lines into one film then yeah. it would have been truly memorable Lane, where do you keep the bourbon? I'll be right down I said where's the fucking bourbon? Speaking of Freddy quotes, though, one of my favourite ones was one that he didn't say out loud. In A Nightmare on Street Part 5, yeah. the friend yeah. get, comes out of the fridge, Nancy, uh, not Nancy, whoever Nancy is in this one, tries to grab her. <laughs> the Nancy. The Nancy. Yeah. Um, she gets sucked into the fridge and the door closes, and on a little, like, post-it note stuck to the fridge with her magnet, it just says, die, bitch. <laughs> Which I yeah. love is the idea that Freddy left that as a Aww. reminder for her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, hang on. I forgot to leave a note. I'm not going to see her until Tuesday. Place, I need her to know this. <laughs> Die, bitch. Uh, you know when you run out of room on the end of the post-it note and you squish all the letters up against the edge. Hated when that happens. Um, I like the fact that in the original Nightmare on Hare Street, the um, the day is just as dreamlike as as the um as the dream you know when we first cut mm. to like a regular scene aside from the fact that everyone's talking like aliens it's really yeah. like hazy and surreal and things are moving just a little bit too slowly and maybe it's trying to create this idea of insomnia because you know none of these characters are meant to be sleeping right but mm. everything just looks a bit surreal and lynchian and i really appreciate that i just want to say john fucking saxon john saxon is a fantastic sort of character actor who's worked with everyone i mean he's probably most famous for his appearance in enter the dragon but i mean he's been all over over the shop with Dario Argento and um, probably some others. And he comes in here and he's just got this great sort of authority mm. to him that I love. He's great as Nancy's dad in the original. And there's a, I don't know, there's a tenderness to him that I love. I, I, I like that in Nightmare on Elm Street 4, I can't remember the title of this, <laughs> the makeup effects are done by Screaming Mad George. <laughs> don't fuck with Screaming Mad George. There's a very weird effect in a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5. Oh no, here it goes again. <laughs> Where they're taking the graduation photo, they're all getting into shot yeah. and the music is playing and there's sort of a fustiness to thing. things. People are unsettled. And then the silence cut, and then it cuts to silence as you hear the sound effect of the camera shutter you know, going. And the image freeze frames on the mm. picture. It was very Peter Greenaway to me. It was very at, at odds no. with the rest of the franchise. I quite liked it. That's unexpected. Yeah. I really enjoyed Grady and Look Who's Talking to Elm Street, Elm Street, Elm Street. 
um, he's a bully, but him and Jesse seem yeah. to give as good as they get. And they do have a weird sort of friendship between them. Yeah when they're doing push-ups in the field and he's saying all these amazing lines like are you mount- mounting her nightly or what it's, you know, <laughs> and like if you got some sort of problem with me no bro just no. killing time it's just <laughs> this guy who's a meathead yeah. but he actually yeah, likes jesse and well. ends up looking after him <laughs> in the in the original a nightmare up your elm street <laughs> i really like freddie coming out of the wall yeah. above nancy's head it's a great effect of sort of and i think they just got some sort of very taut fabric and had him lean into it because it's pre-cgi yeah but it easily looks better than a similar effect that's done in the uh, peter jackson's the frighteners mm. uh, years later so yeah, good yeah, cool. uh, In a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, never drink orange juice whilst doing your Freddy in the hood. Um, <laughs> the daughter says something to the dad like, um, when did you become so fusty or something or mm. so concerned? And he says, the moment my little girl became a mom. In Nightmare on Elm Street 4, not another Elm Street movie, there's a really great <laughs> through the window shot just before Kincaid gets mm. sucked into the, the dream. The camera pans through the window up to his face and then he gets pulled backwards through the wall um in a nightmare on elm street part three civil war i really like the fact that nancy seems to have a funeral poncho and hat that she wears <laughs> an eclectic mix i like it where's my funeral poncho well in in nightmare on elm street halloween friday the 13th part <laughs> one uh, there's i think glenn is talking about trying to stay up uh, his mum comes in saying you shouldn't have the tv on oh that's it because he's got his headphones on at the same time and yeah, how yeah. should you be watching tv and listening to music miss nude america is going to be on tonight and his mum goes well how are you going to hear what she's going to say it's such a great mum thing to say yeah <laughs> um i really like the fact that in wes craven's nightly nightmares bob shay maybe all is forgiven between him and bob shay but <laughs> when bob shay is introduced he is still framed by introducing a massive heaving cleavage right next to him <laughs> from his uh, secretary I like to think that was a little dig at the old perv. <laughs> and Bob Shea didn't even notice. He fucking loved it. <laughs> he was too busy trying to make sure his right angle was being caught. <laughs> Are you getting my good angle, Wes? Are you getting my good angle, her tits? <laughs> Stop saying tits, Bob Shea. I hate you, Bob Shea. In night five, nightmare time. There's a moment where I think Alice is just bending down to do something. And the entire background, everything that isn't Alice, becomes her boyfriend's screaming face which then disappears into a fucking void. That was surreal. <laughs> into Nightmare 2 Elm Street. Um, I really like the premise of Freddy being on this bus that's on like a pivot and the kids can't get too far back on the bus so the bus will tip over. So they need to stay near the me- middle, but Freddy's coming. So they, they have to sort of balance between staying away mm. from Freddy but not tipping the bus over. And that's a really unsettling premise, the idea that you you literally can't run away or you'll tip the bus. Um, yeah. I really felt like the fact that in Elm Street 3, yeah. Dream Off, 2 Warrior, um, Patricia Arquette <laughs> keeps overpowering men that are twice her size, quite handily. Yeah. It happens again and again. She just shoves them over. In Elm Street 2, Judgment Day, it felt really awful when the girls were laughing at the uh, Jesse in in the bus. Oh, God. Because um, it just felt so real. Yeah, when he couldn't open the window. It's just awful. Oh, real social anxiety. Social horror there. Like, <laughs> get out. Thanks, um, Jim Shoulder, or whatever your name was. <laughs> I'm Jim Shoulder. I'll open any window you want. <laughs> Ladies. <laughs> they're, all, they're all still open from last time. <laughs> you can't close a window after Jim Shoulder's opened it. <laughs> Oh, in Wes Craven's lost his mind. Um, <laughs> on the f- right, so Nancy gets a call from the stalker, and um, he just says one, two, and she hangs up. And then it rings again, and she delays before picking it up. But then she decides, yeah. oh fuck it, hello, Freddy's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
I knew he was going to do that. I picked it up anyway. I'm such God an idiot. Damn it! <laughs> Fucking guy. Um, in Nightmare on Elm Street Part Five, my dinner with Freddy, the nun. <laughs> at the very, the last, almost the last shot of the film, the last horror shot anyway, before we get our sort of, mm. it follows Coda, is um the nun just writhing about with Freddy's glove bursting out of her chest, sort of just swinging about the place as various doors slam shut on her and then get blown open again. That's nice. really an unsettling image of her, just the idea that she's just gonna go on suffering and wrestling with him forever. Except not, mm. because Elm Street 6. In A Nightmare on Elm Street, Nancy's being chased, or Tina's being chased, and she gets away from Freddy, closes the door, and the chase music just cuts out very suddenly. It's cool. <laughs> nice effect. Excellent. I really like the fact that the girls in all of these movies have personalities. Mm. They're tough chicks. And I know that Carol J. Clover, the writer of uh, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, specified that Nancy was a particularly good example of the final girl because of how capable she was in the original, you know, setting all the traps and such. And I think that's just something that a lot of these movies have. Maybe it's creepy the way it fixates on its women characters, but mm. they're, they're often pretty good. And I made this note particularly in relation to the sev- uh, sixth one with um don't touch me chick you know yeah. she's just the way she sassily interacts with people and is quite stubborn and is her own person it occurs to me unless you came in to play chick with boobs who presses up against freddy's flesh you wouldn't you'd <laughs> yeah. be quite happy being cast in one of these movies you'd, you'd get to do stuff you know you wouldn't just yeah. get naked and then get killed for the most part unless Bob yeah. Shay's involved well i do i do i do like the uh the girls the love interest and her friend in mm. uh, nightmare on elm street to the streetening there's the <laughs> she's really cute i liked her character and i, I like when yeah. she laughed when he split his pants when he's doing exercises like she couldn't yeah. help it she's a real she's a real person she likes him but it's still funny yeah. and then when they're in the party and she's worrying about whether or not to go to jesse and her friend just goes fuck the party go see him like, yeah oh <laughs> friends okay in um a night on elm street part the last one i really like when stretchy freddy um, Freddy goes to bite the kid's head off and it's a really gross effect of his mouth just getting bigger and bigger and the kid mm. getting sort of crammed into it and he thinks yeah. his mum's dead it's very disturbing he's just he's just there inside Freddy's mouth and his mouth's getting bigger <laughs> and bigger he hasn't bitten down yet he's just <laughs> he's Jim Broadbent again I'm it get in my mouth oh god that's that's even worse <laughs> believe it or not I'm inside Jim um, Broadbent now uh. <laughs> I hate this. And usually he's inside all of us. <laughs> um, oh, fuck. All right, my la- my last one. It's the, the oh. dummy of Jesse's body after Kruger breaks out of his chest. Yeah. It, it looks so fake, but it looks so much worse for it. And yeah. that's one of the that's one of the joys of this franchise for me is that the fake, the very obviously fake prosthetics that look so yeah. disgusting and and even worse for being mm. for being prosthetics. Well, I'm gonna end this quick fire by having nancy's final line in one of these movies unless they halloween 2018 it and do another one now but they can't because wes craven's dead so what are you gonna do it's nancy's last line i'm just gonna play it here because it actually does demonstrate in spite of all the times that wes craven portrayed his audiences as sort of jeering menacing figures um it shows a really good understanding of why people actually loved his movies and loved these movies in particular and here it is behind the lights faces watch from the darkness ready to laugh or scream in terror. All right, Paul, with that all behind us, how are you now going to feel looking back at the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise as a whole? I think Nightmare on on Elm Street had some really inventive, very cool, very funny moments, Mm. some really great deaths. 
It didn't have yeah. enough of those. And it wasn't consistent enough with Freddy, uh, his, his whole yeah. character, his whole thing. There is as much positive about the franchise as there is negative. Okay, so kind of a mixed feeling there. Yeah. Would I watch them all again? <laughs> Would I do it all again? No. I think, for me, when I look back on this series, one thing that is, sev- that is lacking, mm. despite the efforts of Bob Shea, is cynicism. Even though they were cranking these motherfuckers mm. out once a year, it always felt like these movies had a youthful energy to them. There, it's every single one of the ones that we've discussed. It's always a have a go screenwriter who, you know, in his day yeah. job is actually a greengrocer or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's a first or second time director and inexperienced cast, all just putting a hundred percent into the film that they're working on. Mm. Results are mixed and there's no unifying vision really to try and keep it all coherent. Kind of like a bunch of school plays. It never felt like the franchise was just limping on from one installment to the next. You know, fuck it, let's crank this one out. No. Get it in cinemas. It's Each one of them is somebody's bonkers, crazy, totally inappropriate vision yeah. of what this franchise should be. And that, for me, makes it special. All right, now, let's do the last thing we're going to do. <sighs> let's uh, rank them. This is going to be a bit confusing for a seven-part uh, list, but you'll see why in a minute. <laughs> At number six, we have A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 5, The Dream Child. Pretty much just agreed. It had some fun moments and some really cool dynamics between the characters, but it was the one where the cheesiness just didn't quite work in its favor. Uh, number five, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. Again, some very cool moments. Uh, kudos mm. for going with the male protagonist and actually trying something different. It lent nicely on the mental illness side and it had a fairly entertaining yep. Freddy at times, but it ultimately lost itself somewhere in the second act. Now, number four, we've got an interesting situation. You may have noticed that the Pauls disagreed on one of the films and yeah. so kind of two of the films by implication. At number four, we have, for me, Paul Salt, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, The Dream Master, and for Paul Goodman, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. Yes. And on the other person's version of this list, that item is on the bottom of the list. So yeah. Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare is at the bottom of mine, and Dream Master's at the bottom of yours. Yeah. Which is an interesting turn yes. of events. <laughs> yeah, it's weird how that happened. It maybe just shows how uh, we're, we're different. You, you, <laughs> you like nice characters getting on and uh, some inventive stuff. And uh, I yeah. hate all of that, but I also like that, but just in a very slightly different way. <laughs> Yeah, they're very similar films, actually, yeah. four and six, but... Yeah, do you know, do you know it, it, could, it could easily have just been... I was it's tired when I saw it, but no, I'm sticking with yeah. it. Worst film of all time. <laughs> okay, uh, number three, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. As just said, literally today. Um, <laughs> some, yeah, some really great ideas. Took it in a wonderful new direction and went big. And there's just so much yeah. to say for something like that. And it achieved a lot for all of its flaws. At number two, we have A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Dream Warriors. Yes. It's just a tremendously fun movie. Mm. It's the series that it's most visually inventive. Mm-hmm. It's got a fun premise. It's actually empowering for the characters who can sort of be the people they want to be in their dreams and use that to fight against fear. That's a cool message. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Great music. Yeah. It's just, it has a great energy to it. Wonderful. And uh, finally, number one, last but not least, is <laughs> A Nightmare on Elm Street, the original Freddy Spectacular. It starts it. It has the, amaz- the amazing dream mechanics and it's properly reveling in that. It's a fairly solid Freddy. It's 
consistent tone, fun performances, some some shaky ones, but that's all part of the joy, I think, for me. It still works really well. It's just a tremendous sort of 80s body horror, surreal piece of horror entertainment. It's a great premise. It's really spookily shot. The The fact, the parts of it that aren't real actually kind of add to the creepy atmosphere of it. It's the one that kicked it all off, and it's the one that really did the idea the best and the purest. Mm. Yeah, that's Great. all we have to say about that. Yeah. But what about what other people have to say about that? What, you mean the, the OG team? There's a chance I'm talking about the OG team. Shit, I knew it. What they got? Well, uh, first off, Ellen Graham, a baby bearder. She's the eponymous baby bearder. She said of uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, the camp nature. I personally really enjoy the whiplash between stupidly over the top and cheesy and genuinely scary. My favourite moments are probably Freddy's extending arms and Tina's death scene in general, the body bag in the school hallway and crop tops on a young, yet not problematic Johnny Depp. Also special mention to (laughs) Taryn in number three, everything she does is golden in my heart and loins. (laughs) She's beautiful and bad. And very clean. <laughs> By which we mean language. Yeah. She, pl- she plays it clean, and for that, you've got to respect her. Moving over to Twitter, Ollie over a video negative said, The first one is legitimately creepy and deserving of its accolades. The third has some awesome creative kills. Those two are easily the best. Been a while since I've watched the rest, but they're pretty bad and blur into one. New Nightmare was such a wasted opportunity too. I will say that in my head, that's exactly how it was. Like, yeah. I remember I enjoyed two more than most, but yeah. I remember that there was just a mesh of four, five, six, you know, who yeah. cares? And I found a lot more quality in there than I thought. I thought it was mm. just going to be weird, gross-out death scenes and bland mm. characters. Yeah. It's 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 much bigger than that. And there's not much of I either of those. <laughs> Smashy Slashy, Smash Traves said... Uh, <laughs> Great name. I could literally talk for hours, but changing up the silent slasher into a wisecracker was so bold and amazing. <laughs> Dream Warriors is such a perfect sequel and story of the final girl. They managed to balance fun and still be genuinely scary. And New Nightmare changed the game on meta and meta sequels. It really did. And I think we do have to point out, we covered, you know, Michael Myers last year, who was very creepy as this still shape. For the mixed success rate of, of Freddy, he is a very different kind of horror villain. And yeah. he's very singular in mm. that. And I think you have to give him credit for being a very unique unique monster he's he's certainly unique yeah he's entertaining to watch he's not that scary okay and finally blakebusters podcast said uh, the original run was just brilliant a wonderful balancing act of horror and comedy with one of the best villains ever created robert england is a joy to watch especially in the first three yeah real energy there yeah brought to it thanks og thanks og team well paul at long last where can the fucking heroes who have made it this far Find out more about us. Twitter and Facebook, OGT Pods. Gmail, send us an email at OGTPod at gmail.com. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, and YouTube. Tell a friend. Buy my novel Dockhead on Amazon five ninety nine. <laughs> Buy all the jingles on Bandcamp, OGTPod.bandcamp.com. <laughs> episodes 1 to 50 for just £2.50. It's a wonderful deal, please. Buy me on Screen Mayhem. Five ninety nine. It's it's very cheap, but it's very much a, a pay to play app. <laughs> as far as as far as people are concerned, it's all the extras that get the real. Them. The real expenses come when you get to know him. <laughs> That's when you start paying fucking prices you can't get back. <laughs> like when you spent six weeks of your life talking about a nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> he has my soul. It's in his chest, and frankly, it belongs there now. By the tit. <laughs> In and around. <laughs> and, and, and finally, oh, we God. love you all. 
<laughs> have a spooky, spooky day. Don't blame yourselves for this, please. Uh... It's our own doing. <laughs> Was it? <laughs> Was it ours? <laughs> Whose will wrought this? I mean, I agreed to that. I agreed to it, so... Um... Did a divine hand frame this fearful symmetry? Probably not. I don't know what any of those words mean anymore. <laughs> Quote Freddy Krueger. Thanks, Paul. Thank um, Paul. Or Nisha, who knows? Whatever. Hey. Thanks, thanks for all of this. It's been... <laughs> it's been time. Thank you. <laughs> hey, this was another little piece of my teenage years I've shared with you. Coming up next, severe social anxiety. Oh. <laughs> I'm Paul Anxiety. I'm... <laughs> I'm Paul. And remember... The one good thing about watching all seven of Nightmare on Elm Street's movies in a row and then staying up until quarter past midnight to talk about them is that you never know when you might find somebody's real, actual dream up there in the celluloid. Sweet dreams, folks. (laughs) Bitch. Bitch.